Hello. This is episode 26 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Day. Religion is man's attempt to try to understand God. Science is man's attempt to try to understand nature. They should converge at a pinnacle, but they've been corrupted and manipulated. They should serve to support you, but instead they confine you due to the perversion of evil. The more the machinations are concealed in darkness, the more degeneracy will propagate. Only the truth can shed light on the nature of our reality and restore our richest connections, forge our strongest bonds. The freedom to seek and speak truth must be fought with the greatest purpose to reveal the bowels of depravity and rip it out from the root, to plant there in the soil in its stead something fruitful and robust, to build and reach those heights. The highest peaks require the deepest and widest foundations, and we cannot form them alone. That was my favorite piece by today's guest. Uh, One of the fan favorites, not only in the solar sphere of Instagram, but the sphere of independent thought, of true nutrition, of alternative exercise, of CrossFit done right, of Twitter being a more positive place for once in a blue moon. His name is Josh Rayner Gold. Josh Rayner Goldstein, rather. And he's become one of my personal favorite content creators on Instagram because he has a very unique ability to package ideas that are, in truth, original truth that has been vilified by a machine that we know all too well. But he packages it in such a way that it seems like a truly inevitable positive message because he displays the principles he lives by day in and day out and it radiates through his being. I think a lot of us can follow his example in speaking the truth without anger, but speaking the truth in its purest form. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, brother. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this one. I say this with every podcast, genuinely, but I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Um, I said uh, when I started doing the podcast, I sort of, uh, I started scoping out long term, you know, who, who were, you know, some ideas of who I'd want on the podcast, and um, you were, in, you were, you're in the top of the list, honestly. So I'm glad. Uh, finally, a bit more experience as a podcaster, I get to have such an esteemed guest as yourself. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, you are, I think you were like the first account that I started following in this kind of like solar manosphere thing. Um, I think I was probably just following like Soul Bra first, but um, you were kind of like the first before I found this like corner of the internet um, where I started to think, oh, there's something going on over here. And there's a different type of man out there than some of the bullshit that we see. Um, and I'm gonna, I need to look further into this. So uh, I, I guess I kind of have to thank you for like bringing me into that corner a little bit. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure, man. I, I had absolutely no idea, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, I mentioned this, uh, guys, I know you're gonna hear me talk about the Great Conjunction again. So sorry, listeners, but yeah, I'm pretty much talking about this every week now. Um, but the way we sort of all came together, you know, myself, Flo Modus, Forrest, um, Neo Libertate, all those, all those guys, we all sort of found each other at once without hashtags, without, you know, stereotypical 
um, with that stereotypical sort of algorithm routes. Since we all found each other all at once, like right around the, the Great Conjunction on the Winter Solstice. And uh, we sort of, you know, we, we sort of knew something was going on that wasn't completely of our own deliberate decision making, which we're still trying to figure out what exactly it is. We're, we're enjoying it so much. But um, yeah, typically, you know, the, the gateway drug into the solar sphere, I'm, I'm further into the further into the depths of it. The gateway drug is usually someone like Flo Modus or Forrest Munden who have a bit of a brighter aesthetic than mine. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm honored that I was the one who uh, piqued your interest in it. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny because I, I know I, I don't know if I could think of what it was, like, what, how did I find you? Um, but, you know, th- th- just like you said, we, we don't really know how any of this stuff happens, but we just exist as conduits of energy. And so if you are going to be operating on a certain f- frequency, that energy is going to collect itself in a certain way and we will inevitably find each other. Um, you, you know, especially at a time like this in the world where there's a, a very, very strong um, negative, fear-based, weak energy that's kind of trying to take over the world. And then you are going to have the people who are, you know, re- resilient who want to stand up against this. And you would inevitably find each other because that's how energy kind of works. It kind of just brings things together without our understanding of, of what's going on and what it is that we're doing. But, you know, if you're, if you're bringing light, you'll, you'll see each other across the darkness. Yeah, I think that's a really eloquent, profound way of putting it. I mean, you know, sometimes we get, we get so rooted in, you know, in rationalizing, right? We, we go for more of the, the Dana Scully route of things as opposed to the Fox Mulder route of things. There, there right. should be a logical, quote-unquote, logical explanation for this, but sometimes it's, it's really out of the frame of our understanding, but I think you, you, you define that in a pretty open but clear way. Um, it's, 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 it's been interesting to say the least because, you know, with what's been going on you sort of hear the you know you have the red pill being thrown around and you know they had the black pill being thrown around and most of us were pretty black pilled we were like all right well shit is fucked like we're the world is in a sorry state of affairs and i'm going to continue to resist but i think that that you know once in a thousand year astrological event just sort of flipped the script honestly because like you said there's this fear-based energy and i think and I was thinking about this on, on the BART ride home today uh, from work, that I don't think it's the, the, the fear-based culture that we're seeing so prevalent in today's media is, is really just ramped up. I think it's been a lot more hidden as time has gone on, you know, through, through at least the 20th century. And I think it's, it's all, I think everyone's waking up, honestly. And now that people are waking up, they're trying to double down on that energy to suppress it, but that, that sort of consciousness is rising regardless of how much they try to suppress it. And people like yourself and people like Flo Modus and all these other guys that we're rubbing shoulders with, it's, it's almost becoming inevitable, this, this, this magnetism of energy you're talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, just as you said, this, this has been a long time coming, and it has, it has been with this development of technology and kind of mass culture that has magnified the thing is it magnifies everything right so the wor- the, the the bad becomes worse and the good becomes better um, and that's that's kind of the way that sort of evil kind of works is it, it's very um, 
it's it's this kind of like seeping um, kind of poisoning thing that can spread pretty pretty far and it kind of it like it sometimes takes it takes that for the response of good to really come out because you know if we were all living in some paradise on like a tropical island somewhere and like we had all the food that we needed there wouldn't necessarily be this this fight there'd be nothing to fight against right right and so that kind of that masculine warrior energy gets to be sort of like it, it, it gets to be kept at bay because it's not needed and so it, it takes you know it takes a certain um opposition in order to bring that out right so it's you know if if there's all the sunshine you light a candle that candle doesn't do anything but if you're in pitch completely pitch blackness and darkness you light a candle that candle shines really bright yeah i think that's i think that's sort of a concept that's pretty overlooked honestly that clarity of conflict like when when there's no clear enemy you you, you feel something's going wrong but you can't you can't quite quantify what it is. And you go up to your friend, and you're saying, you're saying, oh, there's something evil. And you're like, what? Like, I don't know what it is. And he's like, well, if, I, if you don't know what it is, then how can I know what it is? Um, you can feel it, though, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But and the thing is that that's, that's, that's another sort of phenomenon that's going on. You're getting, you're getting men now be far more in touch with their intuition and with their feelings in a, in a much more masculine circumstance, not be all wrapped up in your feelings and be sensitive and be weak like a lot of the propaganda out there but just really tapping into their their core intuition as opposed to just over rationalizing well that that's the thing is that there's in all of us as individuals as as humans but you know more specifically as men and women we have an, an innate way of doing things right we have that like that that gendered energy is a very that's there's a reason why it's a universal law it goes way beyond you know the a, a human or or an animal of any kind it's kind of like it's it's part of the fabric of of all reality and so the problem is is that because we are so intelligent as humans we're like the the first beings at least that we know of to kind of be able to go against how nature works and so when you, what you see in this modern culture, especially over the last, it's probably started like in the 60s really, um, but it's just gotten you know, exponentially and exponentially more um, pronounced where you have uh, the male, the masculine and feminine energies kind of get confused in such a way where the men in, in their, the only pathway for men to engage their their, their yang side, which is supposed to be the, the softer side, is they're expressing it in the feminine way as opposed to the masculine way. And on, on the uh, conversely, you're seeing women expressing their yin side the masculine way instead of the feminine way. And so we're kind of, we're getting all mixed up where we're not properly balanced as people, as individuals, and we are trying to copy an energy that doesn't belong to us and so of course it's going to lead to problems yeah because it ultimately falls apart because you, you you can't build you can't build a foundation upon illusion you can you can scream bloody murder that it is true foundation but if it, it collapses it collapses and that's what's going on you know at, at every sort of scale the individual scale and a communal scale and a 
nationwide scale and in some cases a global scale depending on how how well nations are managing malicious propaganda you know eastern europe's doing a pretty good job against it but western continentals in the united states you know that's that's more of an ideological war at the moment yeah we are we are very much in a war right now and anyone who doesn't think so is very much blind to it um you know there's the the physical war may or may not come and it, it might be sooner it might be later but we are we are in a cultural war and we are in an ideological war for sure yeah you know that's one of the things that you know you and i before we started recording the podcast you're talking about um shout out to devin medrano nature pill but him and i had a conversation about uh, the golden one before we got sucked talked a lot about if you get too wrapped up in politics you're going to miss the complete point because culture is far more powerful than politics politics is is powerful in very specific given circumstances but an overarching force that will change the minds of of the masses of the crowd is culture thomas paine knew this really well and that's why he distributed common sense you know the american revolution couldn't have happened without having the, the the majority of the colonists on the side of the revolution as opposed to saying the british empire because the colonists could have just said oh the revolutionaries over here and that's a wrap but he was able to understand that culture was far greater than politics so he created a piece of culture as opposed to just sort of these political edicts um but the golden one talked about you know he talked about the culture that politics is downstream from culture, but it didn't. It didn't sit right with Devin and I that, you know, it was culture was like the end all be all. I thought you have to go a bit higher than that. And without, we can't have dominion over divinity, whatever your you know your chosen god or gods may be. But we can have dominion over consciousness, which is just that like a hop, skip, and a jump and a way down. So it's like it'd be sort of like you said, like ideological fueling consciousness, like having the right state of consciousness, having the right energy, the right light that you're speaking of, then that will that will influence and therefore win the culture war and therefore win the political war. And like you said, it, it may get physical, but I see it more happening in skirmishes than I do in like all that war. Just the way pol- the way society's set up right now, it almost doesn't make sense for there to be all that war. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly don't think that. Um, much is is going to be solved from any type of uh, physical interactions. I mean, you've seen over the past year, we've had all different types of riots and, and battles and, and things of that sort. And I, I don't know how much any of that helps a cause. And it, it's, it's possible that it has, it certainly has an effect. I'm, I'm not going to say that I, I quite know what it does, but what you're what you're going to see, or the only thing that really can have profound effect, and especially like far-reaching effect, is how you, it's how you change the individual, right? So if if you have one person, you don't have culture, right? You have a singular person's values, and as that person becomes a part of a group that has shared values, that is where culture comes from. And that is why I always harp on personal responsibility so much. Is that if you can change, you have to change yourself before you can change the world. And giving people the tools to change themselves has to be the most important thing. And that's why kind of uh, being able to 
convey to people a certain level of empowerment that it's it's like look that you you are the only one who can save yourself right no one's coming to save you so it's the decisions that you make every single day that are going to dictate your life and as you come more into the person that you have the power to be then you can start affecting the people around you and now you can start creating community and and then that's where a culture gets built and if that happens you know enough and over time then you start getting this broader culture and and really like politics is should be like the politics should be this uh almost like a technicality right it should just be this kind of like general um structure that just kind of just kind of keeps things together in like a and really truly a light sense because you know if of course, like we should have a law that says murder is bad, right? But you don't need a law to tell you that. But if everyone understands that and, and everyone is, is acting as, as good people, then it's, you know, it's not something you really have to worry about, right? So there are, there's going to be some areas, some cultures that have a lot more of that stuff and some areas and some cultures that don't. And so you have to look at what are the values that are going to dictate you know, how the community acts. And that's why I do think that something, something that perhaps resembles religion, whether or not it actually is, is so important. Um, but anything that, that really establishes um, meaning and, and unity of, of, a, of, of, a, of a culture and a community, because that requires uh, trust. And you need to have trust for any of this to work. Now you get into scale, and that's why politics, by definition, are a complete disaster because we're talking about, okay, a couple hundred people, maybe a couple thousand people at the top, like at the, at the upper limit that you can sort of bring into one unified thing. And then we're talking about millions of people. It just doesn't work. But because of, of what our system is, we have all these people who, you know, the, these... Um, these elites, whether or not they're technically politicians, and they think that they can institute these these broad laws and regulations that are going to fix what truly are cultural problems. And you can't you can't legislate and regulate morality. It just doesn't work on a scale that big. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it so I wholeheartedly agree with you sort of on the individual level and I think you you put in specifics how culture is established and in a, in a, like I think culture can be established in a number of ways I think that's sort of the most deliberate um, that's the most intentional and I think that's kind of more of what we should be striving for in the future to begin with because you're advocating for agency so Basically, you're saying, like, well, I need statistics or any, you know, government program that doesn't matter. Like, the only person who can really control you is you. So advocating for that independence and agency and, like you said, that personal responsibility, I think that creates a much more deliberate route to a morally sound and a morally sound culture and one that is wholeheartedly adopted by the majority. I think the, the other, like, if you read, you know, Gustave Le Bon's The Crowd, he, he makes a really interesting point about language 
Uh, like, no one really sat down and, like, created French. No one really sat down and created German. Um, they, they, so, I mean, like, look at the English language. Like, the amount of pollution from French is ridiculous. Like, look at the word thought. Like, that is... <laughs> yeah. That's case in point. It's just like right. a Norman conquest. So we know what happened, right? We, we know the military and political events that happened for that pollution. But we don't, we don't, we, we can't go in a history book and say, all right, this is when the word thought became a thing in the English language. It just, just doesn't exist. Um, so this, he, he makes the argument that mob mentality actually created language. So like this, this uncontrollable creation of culture. And... I, th I think there maybe could be somewhat of a gradient when it comes to culture that could be the very deliberate and I think again I think that's the best route that you're saying so it's like through individual agency and then finding like-minded people with that with the same values who possess that agency and growing it so on and so forth that, that makes that makes the most sense on the other side of the spectrum you have like this wild force that can't that can't completely became that influences culture and then i think there's like a middle ground where you almost you you manipulate that wild force in a certain direction um, well yeah i mean you know kind of like what we were saying earlier about how people are going to exhibit certain energy and that and that brings things together which is you know there like you there's there's a deliberate side to it but there's also a an uncontrollable uh, flowing natural energy to it and that's why I, I really do think that it's this, because yes, I, I believe that that agency and individual responsibility is is kind of king, but it's not that okay, I do this and then I then go to the next person because then that's taking away that person's agency. But when you when you act a certain way and you embody something to such an extent, that is so much more powerful than you going to someone and then trying to convert them, so to speak, right? If, if you have, if what you're doing has value, people will see it and they will come to it. And really that person, you know, you bring, you know, let's say one person that you come together with, that person is going to have value that you hadn't quite been exposed to yet. And then from there you have, you have now shifted to a, a, a new place that neither of you were before. And so that, that is what this bringing together of, of people and minds is this evolution that happens. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, a controlled thing. There, there is some intent behind it, but the, the energy, the organism of that of that communal energy, that takes on a shape of its own because you can't control other people. Everyone kind of brings something into the circle, and then its kind of chemical reaction is its own thing. But that's that's kind of that that beautiful thing where what we can accomplish together is so much greater than what we can do on our own. Which is why, and everything that I always talk about and value, community is always the the biggest thing. And so some people think that because I talk about personal responsibility, that like I'm overly individualistic and that I, you know, just think that you should just be on your own. Like, no, that's not it at all. But the only way that you can be a productive member of your community is to take responsibility for yourself. And it, 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 it stems from there where if you bring a bunch of people together who, who have that 
that drive and have that ability to take control of their own lives, then what they can build together will be completely unmatched. And then you're talking about, you know, you, you have family and, and there's, there's no better way to change the world than having children and, and instilling good values in them from the beginning and kind of molding them from the start. And you, you do that over a number of generations and what you've done in a community is you've, you've created this entirely, this new organism, which is this, this total collection of people, which can have so much strength to it, which can have so much value to it. If you put in that, that real nourishing, um, you know, fertility into the soil, like what grows from that, which you will never see in your lifetime, like the, the trees, the forest that grows from that, you'll never see. But that's where the strongest comes from. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So trope number two with this podcast, listeners, is always, <laughs> this time it came early, there's always a point where one of my guests has something that just leaves me saying, very Owen Wilson-esque, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> But I think you, you, you sort of put like a soup to nuts, sort of an ideal scenario and displaying the value of certain decision making regarding individual, regarding community, regarding the long term future of said community and preserving the, the values of said community as best as you can. Basically, checking all the boxes of the realm of things that can fall into deliberate decision making, right? Because like you said, you're not going to be able to fully pre- it's 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 always going to be greater than the sum of its parts what you're talking about these communities and same thing with the seeds that are planted just to show these forests that you're never going to see you know the full potential of um that also kind of links you more to this grander understanding of like ancestry and of humanity itself because you're sort of doing your you're playing your part you're playing your role in this sort of never-ending play. That's kind of a powerful thing to think about. Because when you, know, when you see people, like, especially myself, too, sort of getting wrapped up in ancestry, and I, I do it all the time, and I still have a lot of questions, because my family history is somewhat of a puzzle and somewhat of a mystery right now, um, in certain regards, but um, people don't think about being, that, that, that you are going to be someone's ancestors. And you're sort of laying this long-term foundation that you're never going to see the fruits of. And that, that, that tying that duty to the self and tying that duty to playing your part of the deliberate decision-making in these communities you're speaking of. And also, maybe, what, 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 I, what I think that these sort of control, power, like these, these quote-unquote powers that be are really good at, is they're really good at manipulating the not-so-deliberate. They're really good at pressing certain buttons to shift to shift the sort of organic consciousness into a descent. They're really good at pressing the buttons of pitting gender against gender. They're really good at pressing buttons of, of put, pitting, putting race against race, of urban versus rural. And I think if, if, if more people were able to figure out how to pr- how to press those buttons in a counter and not only counter them but start to go on somewhat of an offensive and winning this culture wars and pressing the certain buttons and manipulating these 
these more organic wild forces and we're going to see a lot more success for the future in this culture war that really like you said we have been fighting since the 60s yeah you know it's the idea that we're fighting our fellow man is is kind of ridiculous when it, it should be more so looked at as you know the kind of like a more like populist like perspective where it's it's kind of it's man against the the ivory tower right it's 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 us against this you know a, a elite level which is you know for lack of a better term like trying to take over the world and you know there's there's that that c.s lewis quote which just always sticks to me it's one of my favorites you know that about the about the robber barons um versus the moral busybodies that he'd, he'd rather be controlled by the by the robber barons because like you know eventually they're kind of their hunger will um satisfy but the moral busybodies they they think they're doing all this for your own good and so like they never kind of stop their quest because it feels like they're you know they're they're on this 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 mission from up from a higher um a higher purpose but it's when 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 that purpose leads you to trying to take over other people's lives and trying to take away their agency like that that is when you when you truly know that someone is in the wrong because i can think of no no more evil act than taking away an individual's agency which is why you know we we view something like like rape as horribly as we do because it's such a violation of an individual's agency and so you're you see what's what's at least being attempted to happen on a global scale right now is they're trying to force something on us on our bodies which completely removes our agency and it it causes such a uh, a visceral repulsion to me that you know some the people that that don't understand that i don't know how to explain that to them because it would be like trying to explain to someone why rape is bad you know if, if you can't see it i don't know what other words i can use to explain it it should be self evident um but that that's why you know you certainly have to be careful about what you say and how you say it on some of these platforms because you know if you if you kind of if you lose the platform you lose the ability to help people in certain ways so you know i think it's an, important to kind of try to if you can spread the values you can kind of stay away from perhaps some of the specific details that might get you in trouble um because if if you it's one thing if i tell someone to do like one specific thing for their health but if you can get someone to understand the the, the philosophy the underlying values of what leads all those decisions to come from that's how you really can change someone's life and give them the power to 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 take control over over all of it yeah yeah i mean what you, what you said about sort of taking taking away people's agency so for those of you who don't know and so i i live in the i live in the san francisco bay area i'm about to get out and josh just recently got out of the la area so two of you know two of the biggest virtue signaling busy body sort of i'm making a difference by staying home i'm making a difference by getting my vaccine i'm making a difference by reporting people on twitter you know these <laughs> It's that's that's the belly of the two bellies of the beast. You can call one the belly, one one the intestines, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's 
it's a it's a really nasty thing and like even like you said even trying to start that direct conversation of <laughs> of trying to explain to people why what you're doing with your own agency isn't selfish it it, it already starts with a headache right <laughs> like it's 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 a very fruitless conversation and I, I have to agree with your, your assessment of the platform, which is why I don't, nothing on my Instagram page especially dives into actual politics, dives into, you know, the real trouble spots of what's going to get you canceled, right? I mean, I, I, go, I, go into a, I go into it a little bit more on the podcast, um, because I don't think Instagram is going to take the time to listen through every episode of my podcast, and then therefore de-platform. Honestly, I, I, I think you'd be uh, pretty flattered if they did. <laughs> Maybe I mean I don't know. I'd be I'd be, be kind of like you guys not have a life or what's what's going on, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I guess maybe that means that means I'd be making enough waves to hopefully be making more of a difference in people's lives and advocating for agency. Um, but in terms of in terms of agency itself, like the fact that we're at a point where. That needs to be fought for in general. You have to start to wonder, like, when did that go away? Because, you know, there's all these tropes of that, that you see across the sphere, like, you know, reject modernity, you know, return to tradition. You see, like, we should just go back to pre-industrial age. Like, that's not going to happen, guys, right? Return to monkey, man. Come on. Let's yeah, go. okay. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, return to monkey. I mean, like, right. So you can have you can have all those principles, right? You can sort of eat primally, which we'll, which we'll get into. Um, you can train primally, you know. You can do grounding, you can spend time in nature, you can do all these things. But the cat's out of the bag. Technology isn't going to go anywhere unless we have some cataclysm, right? I mean, we truly return to money. Um, but I have to wonder, like, where, when did agency go away? Like, was there a specific time? Because when, when you sort of look through history, like, all right, yeah, it's sort of the homesteads. And most of the, at least in the United States, most of the, most of the population was rural up until I believe it was 1923 when it flipped to mostly being urban. So you have to wonder, did it, that agency go away right then and there? Or did it start with the American dream and us getting lazy and everyone eating a washer dryer and all these things that do more and more of the responsibilities for you? Was, was, there, a point of, was there a point of no return at any point or is this all salvageable? Like, the fact that you and I are even speaking of having to convince people of their own agencies, that, that, that's the beginning of the uphill battle itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like what we were saying about, you know, some other things, like, all of this stuff is a very long time coming. Like, nothing is, oh, this just started. You know, it's, it's a slow, it's a slow snowballing effect. Um... But it's certainly, as it snowballs, that it's now in- increases exponentially. So that the changes are just so much more pronounced. Um, I know I shared this thing in my in a, my story a couple of days ago, and it says that uh, in 1880, 50 percent of Americans were farming, and now it's two percent. And in 1945. Uh, Americans grew 45% of their food in their backyard gardens, and now it's 0.1%. And so, I mean, that's, you know, that, this is stuff that now we're talking, you know, at most uh, 140 years here. 
since you know this this massive shift has happened um but of course it, it goes longer but it's it's something once you once centralization really starts to set in then everything has to become everything has to become devalued it's just it's just the the nature of it because how can how can one person at the top of the tower do what's best for 330 million it's it's literally not possible um are you familiar with the dunbar number no i'm not so the dunbar number there was this uh scientist his name was dunbar and he basically discovered that there's a set number for how big a community of of any animal can be um and and what the you can observe this where you will see that there's uh, a, a population will grow to a certain size and then when it breaches that number things start to fall apart so what he observed how he really came to this was he observed in chimpanzees that once they hit over 80 chimps in their group they split up into two factions and went to war but if they kept it under 80 they would live in harmony with each other and what he found was that 80 was the number that the chimps would each be able to groom every individual chimp. Which means at some point, every single one of those 80 chimps had their hands on the other 79 and was caring for that chimp. And that was their connection, which is like, okay, I'm grooming you, I'm taking care of you, I'm helping you, I'm doing you this favor that's sort of this like communal thing that we all share in. And at a certain point, you know, if you have a million chimps, like you just, there's not enough time for that. It just doesn't work. So with humans, that number is about 150, which is why you see that number for most businesses. Uh, it's the number for things like fraternities, sororities. Um, it, it's just because beyond that, you lose the ability to connect with and keep track of that many people. And so what, what he... Um, propose that what our version of grooming is, is actually it's gossiping how many people can we keep track of and talk about that we're we're aware of what it is that 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 they're doing and we can sort of you know so if, if you and i are talking about our friend and he's doing such and such thing we go hey man did you see what tim was doing it's like oh yeah we think that this thing was good or this thing was bad and if what he does is so bad we will then be like, hey Tim, we need to tell you about this thing. And ev everyone is sort of playing a part of this where even though we kind of have these conversations apart from each other, we're all keeping track of, of, of one another and we have this awareness that we're all shared with this community. And so, you know, you have things like social media come out and you have like, oh, I have a couple hundred friends, I have a, you know, a thousand friends. And then on, so, you know, on, on things like Instagram and Twitter, we're talking about you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of followers. And, you know, the, the, you know, Justin Bieber doesn't know the people that follow him, right? Like he doesn't know them, but they think they know him. That doesn't create a relationship. That doesn't create a connection. And so there's, there's a limit to how much we can, we can actually care about. How many people can we care about? It's not, an, it's not an infinite number. So to, to think that we can have these wide-reaching politics like you know we're i mean even when we go to the, the city level we're already way beyond that but 
city, state, national, international level. You know, you, you think, okay, let's, you're talking about one, one president in the U.S. with 330 million people. Now let's talk about, like, the, the, the globalists and their kind of, you know, one international government talking, you know, about seven, eight billion people. Like, they not only, they, they don't, but it's, it's be impossible for them to care about what happens. So for someone in, an, in another location with entirely different lifestyle, entirely different means of, of providing for themselves and their family, to be able to dictate what someone else does, it just, it, it's, it's wrong. And there's a, there's a great quote. I think, I don't think that he um, wrote it, but I think he shared it somewhere. If you have read any uh, Nassim Taleb. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he has that quote. It's like, with my... With my family, I'm a communist. With my community, I'm a, I'm a socialist. With my, um, with like my, you know, uh, greater region, I'm a Democrat. With my state, I'm a Republican. And with my nation, I'm a libertarian. Right? It's, you can't have, the idea of a political ideology that just works for everything because it's not how things are supposed to work. They're supposed to be, mediated and tempered based on what is trying to be accomplished. And to, to, to think that we are going to, that we would allow people to, to rule over others is just, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it, but people, people either are trying to abuse power or they think what they're doing is good and in that, in that claim for the greater good will do, the, you know, I, I had a post uh, uh, months ago which was about how the greater good is is like the most evil thing that someone can say because the worst of all atrocities have been committed under that pretense. Yeah, and I think, so there's a lot to unpack there. So I think this is another situation of a gradient in the sense that I think there are the politicians genuinely think they are trying to do the quote-unquote greater good. And the further and further you get up to this sort of globalist sense, the more you're going to see is like you don't really a rat's ass about the quote-unquote greater good. It's, there's, there's ego, there's there's bloodthirst, there's a lot of horrific energies that are engulfing these people who are trying to dictate to the masses. Um, yeah, so it's, I would say that part is, is certainly great. I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that the great leap forward that killed 42 million plus people in China was something that Mao truly saw as a greater good. Right. <laughs> if you have that many of your people starving, you clearly do not. You you cannot sit here and say the greater good, greater good for everyone. Well, clearly not. The greater good for your agenda. Yeah, I'm sure that's what you meant by greater good. Um, you know, same things. Same thing with all of the policies enacted by Joseph Stalin. You know, with the Ukrainian famine, with the erasure of the Tatarian culture. You know, all these. There's nothing for the greater good there. It's the greater control. It's actually really just making their job controlling easier. So what you're seeing now, too, is the, the people who, I mean, just humanity in general, who isn't trying to strive for this grand control that is, is falling apart, you have two answers. You have the answer of the people who are, who are either consciously or subconsciously gravitating towards this principle. You're talking about the, the it's called the Dunbar principle, yeah? Yeah. So it's, you have people decentralizing. And what's interesting is combat is decentralizing. You're seeing the new style of American combat be far less 
I mean, they're, they're, they're moving around, they're moving around, they're, they're organizing in units that are smaller and easier to move around because they need to be at random sites that pop up because of terrorism and whatnot. It's not like we're going to go fight this country's army at this front. And then it's, it's, it's not like the ja- it's not like the Pacific theater and the European theater of World War II. It's not like that anymore. No, not at all. Due to technology and due to the type of enemy they were fighting, they're fluid enemies that inspired fluid combat, decentralized combat. That's the name of the game in, in uh, the United States military industrial complex now. And now you're starting to... So when you have something like... Com- something is like black and white as combat gets so decentralized. That's fascinating to me because it's almost like there's writing on the wall and you're seeing this now. Bitcoin is decentralizing income. Um, people are responding to the COVID-19 lockdowns, decentralizing and getting out of cities and, and trying to build a homestead. You're seeing all these ways in which people are trying to decentralize. And that would actually bring back more natural order. Um, natural order without, you know, the centralized order. The people who, whether malicious or not, or people who are just wrapped up in their own self-interest, or people who think that they're doing the greater good. So I, I think with these people in, in these centralized controls, and the, or these attempts to continue these centralized controls, you have three types. You have people who, who are indoctrinated and really think they're doing the right thing. You have the people who are just acting in their self-interest and don't realize any of the people who are truly malicious. The people who are truly malicious are inching humanity. They're trying to inch in a bunch of gradualist policies towards what you and I spoke of before the recording, which is transhumanism. You're starting to see, I mean, that, that's what they tried to do with, with communism and ultimately didn't work with the Soviet Union. You're starting to see it shatter with China as well. You're seeing a lot of calls for balkanization from Hong Kong, from the Uyghurs. From the Inner Mongolians, from even the Sichuan people, compared to the stand, you know, the, the majority Han Chinese, you have 300 million Christians who are making um, the China Chinese leader nervous. So, it, it failed with the Soviet Union in trying to make this grand collective, and it's it's fa- it's failing with China more than more than their media is letting on. So now, well, what's the next thing? Well, how do we, how do we delete, how do we delete this call for 150? How do we delete the Dunbar principle? We make you less and less human. Started, we start we start having things like microchips. We start having things like Neuralink, which scared the shit out of me when I first heard Elon Musk talk about it. And what's the other fascinating component in this sort of grand scheme of things going on is you and I talked about at the very beginning, energy attracting and, and so all this consciousness really rising. And it's, it seems to be unstoppable, but all the policies that have to do with transhumanism are trying to artificially centralize. Whereas this energy attraction is more organically and, and pure, almost divine, divinely and consciously unifying. So it's, it's that war between decentralization and, and artificial centralization and then almost this truly human and truly divine grand connection and this artificial connection. And, this, and one fosters humanity and one completely strips humanity. And that's, I mean, that, that's a concept you can't even bring up in your day-to-day circumstance which is why we have such a puzzle to solve yeah i mean there's with, with a lot of things there's there's only so many people who get it there's only so many people who you can have certain conversations with and and that's why especially what i've really been coming into over the last year year maybe two is is to bring back that truly human nature of being able to feel when when we can when we can 
reconnect with our natural instincts. We can feel what's right. And, and you know, that, that goes with something as about feeling, uh, you know, energy, something that's that perhaps is very much more abstract and something that's, you know, a lot more tangible, which is uh, how did that food make me feel? And that's why everything is so connected to me. And I don't, I don't think of them as separate things because like what I was saying earlier, it's the, the philosophy sets the stage and these are all just different, um, different conduits for them to kind of express themselves. And so when you have, if, if you can develop an understanding of how to feel things, everything will not necessarily take care of itself because you still have to be doing the work, but everything becomes a lot, a lot clearer. And in order to feel things properly, in order to have clarity, you need to get rid of the distractions and all this noise. And so our world is so distracting and then we purposefully numb ourselves. So when you are, you know, every second of every day is spent in front of a screen and you're being programmed by certain ideas and certain messages. And then, you know, you, you live so removed from nature where this, the, the, the cycle of the sun and the moon don't affect you. So now you're removed from your circadian rhythm. And, you know, you, you haven't spent any time eating real food or eating all this processed stuff that comes in a plastic wrapper. And at a certain point, you are so far removed from what it means to be human that you need these, you know, these transhumanist implementations to get any semblance of something that, that looks like functionality, but it's not, right? It's all, it's all a lie. But people in their, in their desperation, they reach for the lie that offers momentary relief as opposed to the truth, even if the truth is harder. And, you know, there's, so one thing, one thing that I've noticed is that for, for all the people who I think that are, are kind of doing things right, I think there's a lot, there's, there's many of us doing a lot of different things, but there's this, there's some type of root of, of meaning. And I think that sort of has to come from some type of belief system, whatever that is, it has to be something, that belief in something deeper. And so I feel like, you know, in this space that we're in, there is a certain influence of things that look like Christianity. There's a certain influence of things that look like paganism. Um, and while all these ideologies are different, um, I think that there's there's value in them. And I don't personally know if I have a, um, a set, I don't know, destination or course. Um, what, what I've been called to more than anything was Christianity. So I bought my first Orthodox Bible this year and started reading through it. And one of the things that really stood out to me was as I was getting through Genesis and, and, and Adam and Eve, there's, because it's a study Bible, it has a, this, the top half of the page is scripture and the bottom half of the page is all these notes. And there's a, there's a, a whole little sub, sub page uh, on ancestral sin. And there's this line that says, because as death entered the world through sin, sin entered the world through fear of death. And that really stuck out to me because what you're seeing is, is this, this falsehood of, of what people think is they're fighting for life, but what they're really doing is they're fighting against death. 
And in their attempt to avoid death, they will do anything. And a lot of that are things that would be considered sinful. Like a lot of terrible things are done through this, this fear of death, which is why it's that fear energy that it becomes so apparent to me once I really, once I really open my eyes to that. And you will, out of fear, you will reach for something which is clearly a lie, something that's clearly unnatural, because you don't have faith in in the truth working. And so, you know, I, I think of, uh, I think a great analogy of it is is like in the Matrix, for instance, right? So you've seen the Matrix, I assume. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have the the real world which is this dystopian terrible place where there's no sunshine and we're all you know the, the those of us those who have been awoken live underground and uh you know the there's not plentiful food but but they're free and then you have all the people in the matrix who are going about their their mundane lives and there's this kind of like false pleasure and you have the character of cypher who has seen the truth and he decides he doesn't want the truth. He'd rather have the lie that made him feel better because he was he was too scared of the real thing. And I think what you have is all these people who, you know, whether or not they, they know the truth, they're either way they're running from it and they're rejecting it and they're choosing the fearful path. And it's just like, just give me the thing that makes me feel better I just want to close my eyes and I just want to forget the rest of it. And so you have all these people living in in willful ignorance of the truth because they can't face the truth. I think that's that's a, a I mean that's a darker truth in itself that most people don't want to, to recognize, right? Yeah. It's like also, I mean, you, you can see this be the truth in just smaller decision making every single day. It's like a, you, if you really just listen to yourself for a split second, you know what the right decision is in almost every decision. Yeah, but but the thing is, it it flickers in your mind a little bit, and then people just they shove it away and they ignore it, right? Um, I, I think that there's there's certainly layers to it. It's not like people always, you know. There's a reason I had a, a post recently about like. Your, your gut and how that's tied to your instincts, right? There's a reason why we call it gut instincts. And if your, and again, this is why nutrition is so important, if your gut is a mess, your instincts will, will be as well. And so you can't have that proper awareness. You can't think and act properly. You know, that your the gut is the second brain, they say, but I think I think the, the gut is more, you know, the, it's, it's, the, it's the intuitive brain. And we get, we get so stuck in the rational brain and the rational brain is where all the, all the mis- like the mistakes start to come in. Like that, that's where we we get stuck in this in this rumination where we we abandon the the natural process and we try to um, we try to, to to in a sense like kind of supersede it with with brute force. We try to overthink our way through something instead of just feeling our way. Um, and I, that's I really felt like I developed so much as a person when I started honoring myself fully and started really trying to live at least within my capabilities much more in tune with nature 
And I mean, I certainly have a lot more, a lot more to go, a lot further to go. But as I really focused on making my diet as, as right and as pure as possible, and I started focusing on getting, you know, as much sunshine as possible and and grounding as much as possible, and also coinciding with, um, started using plant medicine with with more deliberate intent. I felt like everything was just revealing itself to me, and I could just feel my way. And where I spent so much of my life with anxiety and always overthinking, that all went away. And because there's this peace, there is this this calmness where the distractions are gone. My awareness was heightened to an extent where everything became a lot clearer. And with that came a lot of confidence because when you know who you are, the confidence that comes from that is is unmatched. And it became so much easier to be myself and express myself and show up as who I truly am into the world. And I think like that's that's why I think, you know, those of us have sort of found each other and been drawn to each other because you know in in the in the sort of sense of like game recognize game like real recognize real like there is there is something to be said for when that energy like we were we were talking before the podcast when the energy just finds itself it's it's unmistakable because it 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 does it all on its own yeah I mean, okay, so <laughs> again, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, I, I like, I like, I always prefer the guests, you know, to, to, to speak as long as they want, you know. I always sure. try to get out of the way of the guests. I mean, sometimes it's more back and forth conversation, but I like, I prefer when the guest goes on like long tangents that we can sort of dissect and unpack. So, first of all, for all you listeners, Next to the post of the piece that Josh read at the very beginning is a video of him eating a chicken head. A raw chicken. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how much he has sort of experimented and sort of investigated with his diet. Um, so I, I want to start sort of at the beginning because the, the end point is obviously a very unshakable and almost, almost ascending way of living. And you certainly radiate that confidence, right? I mean, so I mean, I'm anonymous, and I'm anonymous for a number of reasons. Um, I, for all you listeners, I have a very specific time in planning when I will end said anonymity, but um, I'm not going to do that beforehand. Um, so, but you know, with the guys who aren't anonymous, like yourself, uh, a couple other guys, um, it, it's it's very plain as day that you're radiating that confidence and. You know, for the, for those of us who are anonymous, it's been more through our content that we've been able to sort of find each other. Um, but you, the, the guys who are not anonymous like yourself, have that extra layer. You needed to see your being, plain and simple. So, but I want to start with how you got there. So, what was this diet journey like for you? Because you, you eat quite a bit of raw meat and vegetables. And if you look at, you know, the directions of any old times, excuse me, any old time strongman like George F. Hackenschmidt, or, sorry, yeah, George Hackenschmidt or George F. Jowett or all these, you know, these old-timey, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century strongmen, they all say the same thing about raw food, not cooking food. So what what was the soup-to-nuts journey for you in terms of diet to where you are now? So diet has always been kind of at the forefront for me. 
Um, I, I played sports my entire life, you know, from a very young age, you know, three years old, dad put me into everything. And I just started running around and, and everything and as, as fast as I could. Um, and uh, and I, I was always really drawn, drawn to the training aspect. Um, I mean, I, I love the games themselves, but I loved, um, I really appreciated and, and, and took pleasure in the, the lifting and, and, all the, and all the training and everything. So, you know, as, as a, I was the kid who was like kind of just doing like push-ups and sit-ups in his room like while watching TV. Um, and I started going to the gym with my dad when I was about 11 or 12. Um, he worked out with a trainer, and so sometimes he would take me with him, and his trainer would have me do some random stuff. Um, and as I got into high school, it, you know, the first thing that they do before you start a single practice is they throw you into the weight room for football. And, you know, I, I really wanted to be big and strong. And so, I mean, granted, my approach to nutrition wasn't that intelligent, but I started eating, a, you know, a, a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream every night. Um, and then I gained like 30 pounds in the summer. Um, and I was like, oh, that's cool. It's funny how when you eat, like what you eat does something to your body. And so from there started this kind of journey of just trying to figure out what to eat. And I did all kinds of weird different things over time. And, you know, as I got into college and I decided not to play sports, I just, just you know, instead just like, well, I'm going to the weight room and I'm going to live here. Um, and I, I experimented with some different things that I, you know, I got from different books and, and uh, blogs and, and magazines. Um, I, you know, I read the, the four hour body, Tim Ferriss's book and, I got really into uh, lean intermittent fasting. Um, if you remember Lean Gains and Martin Burkan. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I started reading him in like 2009, 2010, and so I tried some different things. And when I got, I started trying out CrossFit in 2011, and then you get exposed to Paleo. And when when the idea, when I was exposed to the idea of, oh, the way that we're supposed to eat, oh man, that just makes more sense than anything. And so from there really started the journey from kind of trying to figure out, okay, well, what are we supposed to eat? And then how can I eat that way to help me with my goals and performance and aesthetics and, and health and everything? And so as I, I got out of college and then got way more into focusing on my training and competing, um, I you know wanted to eat a certain way. And so I decided to like put on a ton of weight. Like I went from... Um, 160 to 210 in seven months and I was just you know lifting four or five days a week and um, that's when I I first got exposed to uh, raw milk back in 2013 I think. yeah well, you're way, way ahead of the game like I, yeah. I, got, I got a little bit ahead of the game like 2017 is when I started but damn that's that's way far back yeah it's uh I forget exactly like really how it happened but I had the I had a, a, a cool coach in CrossFit who was kind of like a weirdo and he was doing things differently than everyone else was and he was really into like pure nutrition. And so I started eating, you know, organs back then too. I was eating raw liver and um, I'd go to the butcher and get like weird things like head cheese if you ever had that. Head cheese is super good. Um, and if, if anyone doesn't know, head cheese isn't weird cheese from a head. You're like, how do you make cheese from a head? It's actually like a, like a deli meat where they take the the fat from the jowls and they will take um you know they might take the tongue or or weird things and then you know you it's kind of this like meatloaf kind of looking thing where it has like tendons and a lot of fat and it's super good um so i started doing 
that type of stuff. And I got into uh, Weston A. Price, if you're familiar with that kind of nutritional approach. Yeah. Yeah. So I got into that stuff. And so I was doing a lot of um, raw milk and raw eggs. And I would, I would drink a half gallon of raw milk during my training session every day. Um, and I remember, like, you know, other guys at my gym would be with their, like, mass gainer shakes with all their powders and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, just drink raw milk. They're like, no, bro, this stuff is this stuff is is good. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then like, you know, I gained 50 pounds, and and they didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they probably all went to their vitamin shop in GNC and read them the Riot Act. They're not getting weight. That's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah, what I was doing was I was I was trying to gain weight, but like super healthy, at least to some extent. So I was doing the raw milk. I was doing the raw eggs. And then I was buying meat from an Amish farm that I was having being delivered from Pennsylvania. And so I was getting like the highest quality meat. You're spending orchard on this, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always, when it comes to food, I've always like been like, there's no budget for food. Everything else, you know, is because like it's, there's nothing I, I care about more than, than health. Um, and, you know, that, that's the thing is that I kind of realized that my lifelong religion has always been health like my religion is just health because i feel like that is honoring myself as 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 much as i can and then my my health was was just a lot more of a of a closed-minded type of you know overly focused approach i understand now that health goes way way further than just you know what it is that you eat um but yeah that that was always kind of the driving force and so you know i would i would eat uh, a bunch of ground meat that was mixed with heart and liver um, with rice, and uh, I started experimenting with raw meat back in 2013. So, I you know I'd eat some some uh, raw ground meat. Um, I'd eat some raw liver, a little bit of like raw steak, and that was all I think really serving me. But then I kind of I let my because I was making so much progress in the gym, I kind of got like blinded by what my true goal was in health. I started chasing numbers on the bar. And so I kind of just started eating all of that good food and then like ice cream and donuts on top of that. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I'll be able to lift more if I just eat more. I just need more fuel. <laughs> yeah. And so like after gaining all that weight up to the, okay, like I put on a ton of muscle, but like also I got kind of fat. So I, I kind of like, I, I really... I have no other better way of saying it than I kind of lost my way and I let my aesthetic and performance goals kind of completely negate my my health goals. And while I still kept like healthy food in there and I still, you know, I still drank raw milk um, occasionally, I started just kind of doing the macro thing and I started letting foods that shouldn't have entered their way into the picture enter their way into the picture because like, well, this fits my macros and I have this craving, so I'm going to do it. And I mean, I, I had great results. Like I got, I got like super lean while being big for the first time. You know, I, I went to nationals for strongman, like all that stuff worked. And over time, I kind of started gradually cleaning up the diet and still like occasionally doing things I shouldn't be doing. Um, but it wasn't until a couple years ago, I want to say like the end of 2018, early 2019, when I had had this, I had this breakup at the end of 2018. And my girlfriend at the time, she was a phenomenal athlete, but her diet wasn't good, but she just got away with it. And 
and I saw kind of like what that did to her, how that affected her emotionally and hormonally. Um, and so after breaking up with her, I really kind of had the, man, diet really, like, I always knew this, but like, wow, diet really affects you way deeper than just, oh, like, yeah, you're, you're shredded and jacked, but like, what is it really doing to you internally? And I started kind of cleaning things up a bit and I started being a little bit more intentful with my diet and I started feeling a lot better getting my kind of, I had a lot of anxiety that was kind of getting under control. And I, at a certain point though, I was eating like five, 600 grams of carbs a day. And I was like, man, I'm shredded though. And my performance is great. But I started to kind of feel the, the negative effects of that. And I started being kind of pulled a little bit more into something that looked like keto for a very short time before I just kind of went full blown carnivore. And that was like the end of 20, end of 2019. And what really pushed that over the hill was I had, even with all the great results I'd had from nutrition, I'd always just been bloated and I had problems with digestion and I hated it. It just, it makes you feel miserable, right? Like talking about how important the gut is in driving all this stuff. When that is unsettled, like you're not going to be happy. And so what really changed, everything changed for me in one night. I had uh, ordered, uh, if you know, the, the counter burger. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So you can do kind of, it's, it's great for however di different ways you want to eat because you can choose anything you want. So I ordered two one pound bison burgers. And the way I was always doing it was I do it like on a bed of spinach with like guacamole on it. And that was kind of like my go to keto kind of meal because I like, got to have your veggies, right? You're like one of like the three guys in there doing that. I remember just me being not having that much money. I was like, yeah, let me get a pound bison burger and literally put everything on it. Yeah. For those of you who haven't been in the counter, if they don't have it, you know, in your part of town, guys, it's like this custom burger built built place. And you can choose like bison or turkey burgers or whatnot. Different. You can get like a brioche bun. And then they have like the, the fill-ins. Like they have premium ingredients like eggs and, you know, avocados you can add for dog. But then they have like a million and one vegetables and like corn and sort of sauces you can add to it. I would, I would like check everything just because it was sort of the same philosophy as what Josh is doing, the macronutrient philosophy. I need to get big. I need to get jacked. So got to eat big to be big and sort of sacrificing that internal nature you're speaking of. Yeah, you know, it's, it's because I'd always just accepted the, the notion that vegetables and fiber and more of the more of it was better for you. Um, I was always trying to find ways to get as much veggies in as possible. Like for the longest time, even when I was doing the Weston A. Price stuff, like back in 2013, it was like, okay, I'm eating a pound of broccoli every day. Because um, it's like, well, vegetables are, are good. That's like, that's the, that's the law, right? Like that's the truth. Um, and so I, I, I ordered two burgers that exact same way, two one pound burgers. And I was uh, going over to hang over at a friend's house or to hang out at a friend's house. And so I ate one of those burgers, the whole thing, and I was there, and I just felt, like, gassy and bloated and uncomfortable while I was there. And I was just thinking, like, this, what is, what is going on? Like, what is doing this? It's so when I came back, you know, late at night around, like, midnight or something. I was, like, still hungry, and so I wanted to eat the other burger, but I was just thinking, you know what? I'm going to skip everything, and I'm just going to have the burger. And I just ate the meat, and I had no bloating whatsoever. And that, like, literally from that moment on I was carnivore um, and so I mean I was mostly doing um, you know uh, burger patties like you know ground meat and, uh, and a lot of ribeye steaks um, and I would occasionally do some you know I always did what's funny is I always did the liver raw because I knew 
that you're eating the liver because of the nutrients and the micronutrients. And so if you cook it, you're going to denature the nutrients, so you shouldn't cook it. But in my mind, I wasn't thinking, oh, well, that should, that's the same thing for all the meat, right? Because um, I, I just didn't, I didn't think that meat had the nutrient value the same way. I just thought I was getting you know, protein and fat or whatever. So um, I kept eating you know, the just kind of standard carnivore, um, you know, mostly, mostly things like ribeyes and some liver. Um, and after doing that for a little bit, like I want to say like close to like two months, probably like a, a month and a half, I started experimenting with, um, I started adding in uh, eggs again. And so I was like, okay, I want to do the eggs raw, but there was always this notion that you don't want to eat the whites raw because the avidin in it will bind to biotin and it'll cause problems. That's what I'd always heard. So whenever I did raw eggs, it was always the yolks raw. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to you know toss the whites and, and do the yolks raw. And then I started bringing back in the raw milk and raw honey because I wanted, you know, that sort of effect on, on, on training. I wanted to have those, those nutrients in there, those carbohydrates in there. And after doing it for so many months, I started to feel like, okay, I think I have a good hang on this. And cause I really do think that what the carnivore diet as popularized is supposed to do is it's an elimination diet. Right. It's, not, it's not supposed to be your life. It's supposed to be a, a temporary process. And so I started adding in some fruits and foods that I felt like weren't bothersome. So my, my diet pretty much from, you know, the end of last summer looked like meat, you know, uh, uh, raw egg yolks, um, and sometimes cooked eggs, total eggs, raw milk, raw honey, um, some fruits, and, uh, and, you know, some organs and, and you know, obviously the vari- a variation of, of animals, not just beef, but chicken and seafood and, and fish and stuff like that. And so I was pretty kind of content eating that way. I was kind of experimenting with, okay, more meat, less meat, more fish, more chicken, kind of in different ratios. And it was just by a happenstance being on Instagram and I kind of started to see people who were eating more raw foods. And all this time, it's like every time I, I go to a restaurant, I order tartare and oysters every time. Because I always knew that those foods had lots of nutrition and that they were raw and that was a good part of it. I just on my own was like, okay, I should only eat little bits of raw meat because I don't, I'm worried about bacteria or something. And, you know, right. I, I kind of, I had that, that, that idea in my head. And as I started to see more people eating raw meat, I was like, there's something going on here. I'm not quite sure what it is, but these people seem to be really healthy and I need to kind of figure out more more about this. And I kind of started like making some friends on on Instagram and and then there was this guy who did his Instagram is Mo Magnin, like like Crow Magnin man, but his name is Mo, so it's Mo Magnin. <laughs> and he he did a he did an advent calendar for all of December and each day was a different diet. And one of those days was primal diet. And so I look at it and I go, "Okay, everything's raw." man, this makes a lot of sense to me. You know, my, my driving force has always been, how are we supposed to eat? I don't think I've ever seen something that makes this much sense. And so I kind of just started like, you know, the next day, because I mean, I had always, again, I'd been eating tartar and oysters and I always ate a lot of sushi. And so I was just like, okay, my next meal, I just ate my meat raw. Like, you know, like, which I had done before. And then it's like, okay, that feels really good. 
and I enjoy eating it, and so I'm going to keep doing that. And then before you knew it, it's like I found a Telegram group, and I, I then downloaded his book, and I just kind of started diving all into it. And, you know, like I said, I kind of go head first. Like, I don't kind of, like, I don't do any baby steps. I just jump all the way in. And so I jumped all the way into all raw eating. And it was within literally just a week that there was this feeling like, okay, so carnivore had already shifted my digestion. Like, okay, man, my bloating's gotten a lot better. There was a feeling that you get when you eat raw meat that you don't get when you eat anything else. You feel the efficiency with which your body breaks that all down. It, it really goes, my body just digested 100% of this as opposed to thinking like, oh, my body's like really working hard at breaking down the meat and getting the, the meat sweats or whatever. I have never felt more at ease with my digestion. And that, that again, really going back to the whole gut instinct thing, like I knew then and there that like this is the way. And so it's been an exploration and it's been trying different things. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff in those books that I highly recommend people getting. Um, one of them is called We Want to Live. And the other one is called The Recipes for Living Without Disease. And they're, the, the author is Ogenus Vondraplanets, um, which is a weird name. But his first name is, spe is spelled A-A-J-O-N-U-S. And you can find those for free, you know, download PDF um, on the That's very, very Dutch, yeah. 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 Um, so, like, so that wasn't his real name. Um, but apparently, like, it does come from, the last name does come from a family name, so... I think it was kind of in his attempt to reconnect to his, to his roots. Um, and that, that's been such an interesting part of this is that the people who are drawn to this, they're trying to reconnect to something. And that's what we're all supposed to be doing because we're so far removed is we're, we should be trying to reconnect to nature because if you reconnect to nature, we reconnect to ourselves. And it's been, it's so much this path of self-discovery that, that makes everything so much clearer. And when you, when you eat this way and, you know, there's, okay, there's, there's the raw meats and there's feeling the efficiency of digestion and there's eating the raw organ meats and feeling this surge of energy because you're being, you're being loaded with this intense amount of nutrition on such a deep level. When you have the, you know, the, the, the milkshakes, which is raw milk, raw cream, raw eggs, the whole egg, and raw honey it's so i mean it's so delicious i mean you're, you're basically drinking like melted ice cream right like but but there is a there's a richness to it and your body goes i am being nourished so deeply there, there's 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 an abundance of nutrients there's abundance of good raw animal fat there's abundance of of all of these wonderful things that are telling your body that I am the I'm the opposite of being starved I am like the milkshake is like this is abundance I'm being given everything my body needs and it's it's I mean even if it's like I don't think that everyone needs to eat all raw I think that that's kind of like I'm undertaking a certain journey and I, I don't know if everyone honestly can handle that but I I think if they feel called to it they should but if you can just add in those milkshakes and like some raw liver your life will change like no other. And it was, the, the confidence had already really been coming in, but those milkshakes are so calming. 
you know, the Ogenus says that there's nothing that calms the nerves better than raw cream. It is so easy to be confident when you're completely calm because you're not worried about anything. You know, you look at you look at a fight, right? Like, you know, boxers or MMA fighters, and they're at their weigh-in, and one dude's jabbering, making all kinds of noise, and one dude's just stoic as fuck. That dude is calm. And that has been such a major game changer that if you want to, if you want to change who you are, and by change I mean get rid of all this nonsense and be who you truly are, who you're truly meant to be, if you can make the intention and the decision to choose what you put inside your body, that will set the stage for everything else. And I, I, I would say that it makes all the other choices easier, but I think more accurately, it removes the concept of choice because you're living as you're supposed to live. And you don't have to think about making choices. You will just embody who you are truly meant to be. And I can't think of anything more empowering than that. That's fast. <laughs> see, okay, I'm not gonna lie. When you sort of like discuss milkshakes, and it almost like becomes like a key to living life, it's like it's it's kind of weird to hear out loud, but. You're sort of an unshakable, undeniable example of your own calm and your own stoic nature and your own being at peace with yourself and your own being aligned with yourself and who you're truly supposed to be and having that just sort of glide out of you. Yeah, it's I, <laughs> it's 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 so it's this it's this relief. It's this relief and you just go, oh, I can be myself. How, how lucky am I? How beautiful is it to, like, to know oneself and to be able to live that way? And it's not that like, oh, if you, just, if you just eat this, then you'll be perfect and everything, you'll just be like the most amazing person ever. It's like, no, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Right. But if you can, if you can have that intention and give yourself the right things, it makes things so much easier. Big time. Big, so, okay, so you, you touched on a lot of areas that I, I, I kind of want to surgically address all of them. Okay. Um, so, A, well, I'm, I'm going to get this part out of the way because I'm tired of all you Connor fans blowing up my inbox, okay? Um, that where you speak of with the MMA fighters, right, and the boxers with the stoic nature, that quiet confidence, I suppose so. The guy who's sort of running around like a rabid animal, right? It's screaming at the top of his lungs, he's trying to get the other dude's head. It's it's <laughs> what Connor did for the sake of selling. Connor McGregor did for the sake of selling fights. He actually made a lot of people believe that going about life that way, right, is like dominance. And he got away with it for a while. And then he faced Habib Nurmagomedov, and I remember that that face-off. And I, had, I you know, I, I grew up in the I grew up in the Bay Area. I, I've trained with people who've trained with Habib, and they said the guy is just unreal. And 
for those of you who you know aren't familiar with the MMA world at all, obviously you know Conor McGregor because you don't live in a box. But Habib Nurmagomedov is from a place called Dagestan in Russia, and they sort of live. It's it's a it's a Muslim state, but they're all sort of living like it's gosh, the 17th, 18th century. They're living like mountain men, and they're so, some of the highest pinnacle martial artists in the world. And Habib Nurmagomedov is probably the greatest product lately. Um, and he, 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 he just retired 29-0. and 0. He's the first guy to retire from the UFC, a, a, an undefeated champion, which is no small feat. And he, 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 I, I, I'd heard about him sort of manhandling, like, guys in AK. Like, he manhandled former heavyweight and, like, heavyweight champions that are way bigger than him, um, which is just terrifying to think about. But he also, like, he has this intensity, but it's all hush. It's all controlled. It's all calm. Like, he has this storm within him that doesn't control him. And there was this face-off between him and Connor, and he saw all these guys saying, like, oh, man, Connor's in his head. And I was like, no, he's not. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, Connor just, like, asserted him being, like, the alpha. I'm like, that doesn't mean jack shit if you get your ass beat in the ring. <laughs> and... Lo and behold, there was an absolute mercy killing on the part of the beat over Connor. And I'm not I'm not saying this to you know to, to, to basically bash one fighter or prop up the other, but I think ultimately if you can control like just an absurd amount of energy with the sort of calm you're speaking of, you can be kind of unstoppable. Because sometimes I think too much calm can can result in an action. I've seen that happen. For sure. And on the flip side of things, you know, too much like erratic nature. It's like you're not really getting anything done because all your energy is going in every which direction. So that balance of opposites is a very, very powerful thing. Um, in terms of what you're saying on, on raw meats and sort of what you're called to do, what's, what's interesting is... Maybe some people's digestion isn't going to handle it. And I, I also have some other questions for you regarding raw meat. You know, some concerns I might have. You know, I'm I'm very much intrigued. I'm a big I'm a big oyster and tartare fan myself. I just had dinner with my uncle the other week, and all we ate was sashimi and oysters. Uh, that was a feast. But it, it seems to me it's like almost part of your calling, like of who you are, is to like radiate in such a way to be the shining example of people getting their internal being right. So it's and it, 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 everything you've been sort of speaking upon too, it doesn't it doesn't just have to do with the food. Right? So you you're you obviously the your treatment of the, the physical gut, right? Um, you know, not eating you know, those those two bison burger sort of spinach salads and pounds of broccoli in your stomach, you know, making you feel bloated, that's gonna help take care of the gut. Right, you did the elimination diet, and I did the same. Actually, I did the, actually in the same time frame. Right when COVID hit, it was like, well, you know, I'm not going to be training as much. The gyms are closed. You know, I can't practice Muay Thai. I can only kick trees with my shin guards on. I've just lost all my income, so I got to really hold on to my pennies right now. I have no idea what's going on. I'm going to do the carnivore diet because I heard things about it, and you know, I feel like I haven't been using carbs as efficiently lately. So let's do this elimination thing. And you know, if I found my, I had zero bloating, like you're saying. Um. And then I eventually started to introduce other things back. But it seems to me that not only with your self-discovery in this sort of optimum 
way of being and seeking this 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 optimum control of your gut you also came upon optimum ways of other things that you consume it seems to me you're not consuming any trash television it seems to me you're not consuming any trash ideas or any static or white noise and you're yeah. sort of like this radiating example of that for a lot of people oh thank you yeah i mean th- that's that's kind of like what i mean where it's when you realize that what you eat isn't about this one thing what you eat is a part of the total approach to you know you can call it health you can call it well-being but it's just and and that's why i think that if you if you consider yourself a religious person you're trying to approach religion but you haven't taken full charge of your health it's like what are you actually doing it has to be everything you you do has to be holistic or it's it's a lie it's a it's a it's a false representation of of the total picture and that is why all these things have to converge um in in one in one point um you know there's my a friend of mine found out that she has a hungarian heritage and so she's been trying to learn a little bit of hungarian because she can get citizenship and there's a word um there's a word that means focus and it's like it, it's i think it's pronounced something like asha poshatash or something like that but it, it really is a it's a sentence it's kind of like the way the language is formed and it means all points come to one and that when i like when i heard that that was like a really big part of me going oh i kind of get what i'm doing like i hadn't realized what i was doing that i was approaching all these things separately but when i realized that they were all the same thing the way that i'm approaching my nutrition is the same way that i'm trying to approach my my belief system it's the same way that i'm trying to approach sex and relationships and 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 marriage and friendship all all these all these things come from the same values the same philosophy and so once if you have that underlying foundation it makes everything else much easier and i remember you know i've 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 talked about how i've found really profound benefits from um different plant medicines and i was i was sitting with some friends one night and I was kind of I was I was deep in it and I was feeling you know it's especially when you take when you take some of these things especially when you take something like mushrooms you feel there's such a a feeling of nature there's just a natural feeling that kind of like overcomes you it's just a really beautiful thing um and I remember feeling as I was you know seeing what I was seeing and experiencing what I was experiencing I just remember being like overcome in the most beautiful way with the concept of nature. And because I felt that like wonderful loving warmth of nature, it made me consider what is not this. And at a very very stark kind of message came to me that it was like the unnatural. And I started thinking of like doctors, hospitals, pharmaceuticals, all of these sterile things like all the white walls and smells like chemicals and i kind of i felt all of these this beautiful nature just dying in in response to all these things and it made it really clear for me that my 
my my driving force, my philosophy is life, is life itself. And anything that goes against life is is a function of evil. And there's a there's this thing that I wrote and it ended up being this long thing and I and I was going to post it to to Instagram but I I decided to kind of keep it um and I'm you know trying to expand that and perhaps into a book but it it's you know to to kind of just give you like a a one sentence thing it's kind of that the that life and death are not these opposing things that life and death coincide together and it's sterility that that opposes that that sort of that natural cycle once you've sterilized something you take it out out of the natural cycle and because the, the things that have been the most kind of important to me at, at the forefront of my mind have been what i'm doing with nutrition and how i'm pursuing uh relationships currently and it's it's if you take food and sex the word sex doesn't mean you know the act of fornicating the word sex means reproduction right there's a reason why the concept of sex exists with plants and and any type of life force because it's the combination of these two energies that create life and so sex is the creation of life and food is the propagation of life it's the furthering of life once you're already alive and you know i had been i had been trying to you know as my my quest of finding the one and i'd love to to settle down and have a family and you know have a beautiful wife and kids and and all that that's my that's my goal and as that became as that goal became clear and then i would you know try to i'd find myself in in relationships that weren't um that i didn't feel like were conducive to that goal and i started kind of i took i started i be, i took sex out of the equation until sex felt like it was deserved right so I kind of I decided a couple years ago this was kind of even like before I really feel like I I knew why I was doing it I I stopped having sex with people and until I felt like I was in love with them and because that that true love didn't manifest itself then I wasn't going to sleep with anyone if if that didn't feel like I I basically said to myself I'm not having sex with someone if I don't want to have kids with this person because why have sex with somebody if you don't want to have kids with them and i and i i i truly realize that it's the same way i look at sex i look at food if there's not life in this thing that i'm about to do then it's not worth doing there's not the the deeper value and that and that's like where where the where the the food being raw and filled with filled with bacteria bacteria our friend we like we are over 90% the cells in our body in and on our body are over 90% bacteria we are we are more bacteria than we are ourselves and so everything that we engage with needs to be this living thing and it was it was deep in it that night that i felt like the way my diet so to speak the way i'm eating and my approach to sex aren't two separate things they're the same belief they're the same philosophy So if this thing isn't filled with life, then it's a lie and I don't I want no part of it. That's something I can certainly resonate with. Uh as my as my listener base knows, I actually went through I went through a four-year voluntary celibate period. Um and it's a similar realm to what you're speaking of, right? 
um, that, you know, I, I sort of wisened up pretty quickly. Like when I got to, I went to an acting school in England and, um, you know, I had, I had one sort of dumpster fire relationship and, you know, I went to some parties and I kind of wisened up real quick. Like, I don't really want to go to all these de degenerate drug filled parties and I don't want to date a girl just cause you know, she looks good. Like I, I needed that, that deeper, that deeper meaning, honestly. And I needed that sort of life force. And I also found that, you know, with the absence of sort of like these hollow nutrient absent relationships, for, for lack of a better analogy, that I was actually gaining that, that sort of nutrition from life on an individual level. It's a very interesting philosophy you have. And I think it's a philosophy that makes sense. And it's a philosophy that a lot of guys in the manosphere aren't going to get right now, honestly. A lot of guys in the manosphere are going to hear this. They're, they're going to hear what you're saying. And they're probably going to label it as feminine, honestly. But there's, yeah. there's such an... There's such a, undeniable amount of strength there there's like there's an undeniable amount of strength to say no to the things that aren't of life that are towards this sort of stale environment or this these, these like nutritionless food whether it comes to actual food or relationships or sex the amount of strength that takes to consistently discern that or to, to even begin to want to discern that in general can't really be measured to be honest and I, I, I can sort of say this, I can say this from personal experience as well. Um, and, I mean, so as, as a side note as well, when you sort of speak, speak on hospitals, I think this is sort of a fact that needs to be brought to light. And I think you, you're probably all already aware of this. Um, the, way med, the way medicine is done today in the Western world is a product of a power grab from the Rockefeller family. Right. The Rockefeller family, they had a very close relationship with a, I forget the name of the, the person, but the, a very prominent figure in the world of propaganda. And eventually this propaganda sort of minister for the Rockefeller family agenda had every manual for healing rewritten from natural remedies you know plant medicine like you're speaking of or animal animal protein or whatnot or sunlight and they had it rewritten from that to petroleum-based sort of quote-unquote medicines because obviously the Rockefeller family is the is, is the all-time uh, biggest fortune in the world of petroleum so when you get when you start to speak with people against sort of things like vaccines or some of the sterile environments and, and pitfalls that come with the hospital world listeners take a deeper dive into the history of that and when you have some soy boy or whatever you know droning fluoride stare compliant person who's getting at you for going quote unquote against the grain but really which it's not against the grain but it's with nature um, you can begin to cite that fact which they will likely have no idea about um, 
what I'm what I'm curious about. So you, you arrived in this full. It's, you and I sort of arrived at some pretty similar conclusions, but you and I had very different routes. I arrived to where you're at from a religious standpoint, from an orthodoxy standpoint, and I've arrived towards this nutritional world. And now you you've arrived at seeking. You, you're you're beginning to study this orthodox study Bible. So. I guess two of the two, 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 one one detailed question I have for you, and then one pro- progressive question I have for you is, um, what would you say to those like pe- people, including myself, honestly? Are there any precautions that people can take to feel more comfortable with consuming raw meat? Like I told my mother, I want to try eating raw liver, and she read me as ten minute Sicilian mother esque riot act about why I shouldn't eat raw liver. You know, she's you'll get sick. You can't afford to get sick. You'll be in the hospital. You'll blow your insurance. And I'm like, all right. So obviously there's a lot of sort of hysteria attached to this. But what what precautions would you tell people to put themselves through in order to sort of put them at ease with trying this? So I, I think like one, it's important to know that, you know, there there are like I'm in I'm in a couple like chat groups that have like hundreds of people in them and no one get sick from eating all this raw food. Like it doesn't happen. Um, you know, I've been myself, I've been eating raw food, raw milk, raw eggs, raw liver, raw meat for eight years now. And I've, I've never gotten sick. Um, and in order to truly understand why the way that we think about this is a lie, you have to get deeper into how bacteria works how parasites work. And so there is, if you read those books, if you read We Want to Live, you will understand a lot more. But but that guy, Ogenus von der Planitz, has tons of, there's hours and hours and hours of videos of him giving workshops on YouTube. Um, if you type in his name and, and, and add bacteria, there's a number of videos and he will, you know, it really helps to put into perspective why what we think about bacteria is wrong. Um, this this whole approach is very also overlaid with the concept of terrain theory, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it um, it kind of negates the idea of germ theory, that germs cause disease. And so, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not claiming anything that it's like, this is the definitive truth and I'm absolutely right and you just listen to me. All I know is this is the information that I've been exposed to and I've been following it and it's worked for me and it, and it makes sense to me. So I encourage people to look into it themselves. But, you know, to, to really sum it up, it's, it's that bacteria doesn't cause disease. Bacteria is present when, in anything that's living. If something is devoid of bacteria, it is not alive. And our systems, our bodies use bacteria in a beneficial way. And so people think of like good bacteria, bad bacteria. It's not really like that. It's kind of like good bacteria and that's about it. What we call bad bacteria, you know, especially in regards to like we talk about gut health and, 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 and microbiome is such an important part of that. The bacteria that, that we refer to as things that are bad, things like candida, those bacteria are present when your body is in a state of dis-ease. But the bacteria don't cause the disease. They are there to help you with it. It's like we don't have an immune system. We have bacteria. Bacteria are how our 
is basically functions the, what we think immune systems do. So the, the example I always give, and it, you know, this goes for how we perceive viruses to be, though that's a whole different conversation. Um, if you go look at every fire and there's firefighters present, well, would you think then that firefighters are, ca are causing fires? And that if you kill all the firefighters that there won't be fires? Obviously, you know that that's not true. And so like, that's the analogy I use is that the firefighters are there because they're trying to help. They're trying to put out the fire. So that's what the bacteria, that's what these viruses are doing is they're present in, in especially in certain amounts when there's problems because that's their job is to fix the problem. So when I, when I was kind of talking about how like, you know, the, the, the food it needs to be living, when you cook food, you're sterilizing Right, like what, what we use fire to sterilize things, and so you are diminishing the life that's in the food. So not only are you denaturing the actual nutrients themselves, you know whether it's just the protein or it's the vitamins, you know the the, the minerals, you are killing the bacteria, and that is such an important part of all these raw foods, and that's such an important part of what really makes you healthy and strong and fixes the gut is you are giving your body tons of bacteria, which is why, you know, if someone doesn't want to be full raw, I still say get in raw foods because those foods are going to con contain bacteria. Um, with a, one of the, you know, the things that you can do, obviously learn about this because if you, I honestly believe that if you think that eating a raw food is going to make you sick, it'll make you sick because you think it's going to make you sick. Our mind is such a powerful thing. But you can do, as you should be doing with cooked food anyways, you can buy the best quality food that you can afford, right? So that means, okay, if you're going to be getting cows, you obviously want to get grass-fed beef. Um, you know, if you're looking for chicken, you want pasture-raised, corn and soy-free chickens. It goes the same for the eggs. Um, there's, you really couldn't find raw milk that's not um, grass-fed because obviously those farmers... It, and if they're going to be working with raw milk, they already have a certain approach to, um, uh, you know, how they how they raise the cows. Um, you know, if you're going to be doing um, fish, you want wild fish, um, and because you, you you understand that like when these, if you if you know how chickens are raised in these feedlot in these um, confined spaces in this country, they are just tormented and, and disgusting. They're all on top of each other. They, they, they pick at each other. They kill each other. Um, they shit all over each other. It's a disgusting life and they're, and they're being fed garbage. And so it's that. And then they're processed with all different types of chemicals. They're washed with gross things. That food, that all those things are in the food, whether you cook it or not. Um, so I wouldn't eat those things raw, but I also wouldn't eat those foods cooked. So I think it's important to eat the best food that you can get your hands on. Um, but if you want to eat food raw, follow that same belief. Do I think that you need to be stricter with the food that you eat if it's raw? You know, I don't, I don't say I know for sure. I, I know people who are, are in the primal community who say that any meat that you eat, it's actually safer to eat it raw than it isn't raw. Because if you cook it, 
you're not going to get rid of the bad things. You'll just get rid of the the good things. Mm. I don't I don't know if that's true, and so I don't necessarily feel comfortable making a strong statement about that because the only food I eat is amazing quality. Um, so that's a pretty key caveat to, to to speak out loud too, because. I mean, a lot of people, like in a very dense urban environment, they don't have access to a butcher, so they're like, they don't even, sometimes they don't even have access to organic chicken or grass-fed beef, so they're, they're, they'd be eating raw, this like hormone-filled, you know, foster farms chicken, so I think that's, that, that's probably a, a good precaution to take from the get-go, and probably a good caveat to what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I would keep all that in mind, and I'd also have want those people to be aware of that. If they're eating those foods that those foods cooked, those foods are still bad. Um, you know, those foods are still going to be causing problems. Now, is it better to eat, you know, whatever Foster Farms chicken than it is to, you know, eat some processed seed oil, refined sugar thing? Yeah, um, and that's that's why I think that a big part of it is is do what you can. Um, Take responsibility for your life and your health, and make the best decisions that you can. Um, but but good food is out there, and honestly, it's not super expensive. It's just harder to get the further removed you are from, you know, rural areas. Like you know, if here in LA, like I'm I'm here visiting my, my family right now. Um, if I go to Whole Foods and I buy their best quality eggs. Um, which are corn and soy free and organic, non-GMO, pasteurized, the whole thing. It's like $9 a dozen. Um, When I go to my local farm store, um, getting unwashed eggs and it's better quality than everything at the store, you know, it's it's $5, Um, which is still like on the more expensive side for eggs, but it's much cheaper. Um, you know, it's almost this is, this is like deep orange yolks, right? Yeah, super, super rich orange yolks. You can, you can, there's a, I cannot eat like regular eggs. There's a, there's almost like a weird soapy taste to them, oh, and God, it's no, yeah. I, I, I couldn't go back. I could not go back. Yeah, it's it's gross. And once you've had the real thing, you're like, damn, these are what eggs taste like. Yeah, you're, you're basically yeah. you're basically doomed to the path of bougie eggs for the rest of your life, man. Yeah, but so that's the thing <laughs> is that like, okay, if these are where my values lie, then my life needs to be in accordance with that. So I mean, my my goal is, you know, right now where I, where I live in outside of Salt Lake City, like I have a little yard and I could probably get some chickens. I don't know like if I want to do that yet while I'm still in that spot, but I have an okay size yard. Um, but that's why my goal is, is without a doubt to homestead, um, which, which look, I know not everyone can do, but if you can remove yourselves from, from the urban centers, one, like cost of living goes down as you do that. It just requires you to have a little bit of ability um, to break free from that. But there's, you can find amazing farmers, butchers, where you can get, you know, you can develop, you develop a relationship. We're, we're so removed from everything. It's like, we have no idea who, like the people who are giving us our food. We have no idea what the animals were like lived like. We, we, we're, we don't, all we know is we get this package and there's a piece of meat, a hunk of meat in like wrapped in plastic and you just grab it and you go home and then you, you cook it, right? But when I, where I am right now uh, in Utah, like I go to a farm store, right? So it's like the, the farm is like right there. I can see the animals. And then, I be, and then you become friends with the people who run the farm. And then, you know, you start talking and you get to know each other. And it's like, 
oh, we, we, we're connecting, we're making community, we care about each other. And so, you know, they're, like, they'll, they'll hook me up sometimes because I go in there and I buy so much food and I'm like, you know, a, a repeat customer and I bring other people in. And, and that's what we really should be doing is regardless of how you do it, foster community and community that is rooted in, in good values and, and, and meaning. And so not everyone can or should homestead, but like get somewhere where you can find a farmer, where you can find a butcher, where you can find somebody who is, you know is going to put care into the animals and, and, and the food that comes from those animals instead of getting food that came from some feedlot where the animals were tortured and they were fed garbage and who knows you know, what kind of poisons and, and chemicals made their way into your food. Like, if, you, if you're going to consume toxic food, you will become toxic. Um, there's, there's a lot of steps and people think like, well, if I can't have my own farm and I can't get the, all the best grass-fed organic everything and it's not worth it, it's like, no, you can take if you take charge of... Like, wait, then you're just going to eat McDonald's instead? Like, oh, exactly. Absolutely no fucking sense. No. So, I mean, look, like, okay. I mean, look, like, I, I had all these phases before I got into this full raw thing. Like, if you can get good quality food and eat, like, an intelligently organized animal-based approach, right? You're getting a lot of good quality meat, protein, good quality fat, you know, perhaps some fruit. You will feel better. You will likely become healthier right you will you'll probably uh whether you need to lose weight or gain weight you will your body will go towards that direction you will probably have uh better skin you'll you will uh, have better physical abilities you will you will start to be more attractive you will start to be happier you will start to be more successful and then you will you can work yourself towards a place where oh you know once i start eating this way i start making more money because I had more energy and then now I can afford to eat even better. Um, take, for itself. Take, take what's available to you. That, 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 that makes a lot of sense. This, this all or nothing mentality with these kinds of things is absolutely nonsensical. I mean, so it's, it's really cool what you're, what you're doing. Like um, Pr- Primal Thrive and I actually became really good friends and we started, we, we, we went into business together actually. So he He's like a, a testosterone boosting guru, so he's like more. He's very similar to you. He he's out in Belgium. Yeah. Um, so he's, he lives. He's not in Ghent, so he's not in like the, the, the like the dense urban center. Uh, he's in a town outside Ghent, so he has like a relationship with a butcher, like you're talking about. He has a relationship with a, with, um, with farmers, like you're talking about. Um, it's 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 way. If you, if you just just take a look at the makeup of Europe too, like even even in urban centers like Paris, right? Like I'm by blood French, among other things, and even in a dense urban center like Paris, like even they've got it right. It's sort of they, they have relationship with, with with butchers. They have relationships with these people who are getting things from from, from the land. Like the way the way North American cities are done is just kind of it's like cities for the sake of being cities. Whereas in in, in Europe, like I, I I can only speak for Europe in the sense because I, I don't know about enough about the development and structure and traditions of you know any other continent in terms of the the way their cities came to be but the original purpose for cities which is why like a part of me doesn't i part of me gets the the vilification of cities when it comes to people who are living in north america because it's just again it's done for the sake of being cities whereas in europe it was about okay well like for for example um 
the land in this place doesn't grow this very well, but I know that the land in this other side of the country grows it very well. So I'm going to go to this center, to like this this city center, to see if there's someone selling it from this place, right? Right. And then you the, there were other things tied to that as well. You had um, it'd be centers of art, you had it be centers of architecture. So it it, be, it was this much more organic thing, the way cities came about, whereas. I feel like almost with, 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 especially as they rushed more and more westward expansion, you started to see like, well, where, where are we going to put the city? Like, well, what do you mean where are you going to put the city? The city's going to develop where the city needs to develop. It's, 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 a, it's a fine, fine line. Um, what were, I guess, so obviously you advocate for raw cream. It's funny. So I've been wanting to buy raw cream. It's like $12 at Sprouts. Yeah, it's and I'm like, it's like really small. And I'm like, fuck, dude, I can't justify. I can't find. It. I'm now I'm gonna go after I you know, stop recording later in the day. Um, in addition to getting my gallon of raw milk, get you know a little thing of raw cream. You got to go. Um, but you you spoke on raw vegetables because and, and vegetables can be very polarizing or raw plants rather. So that can be very, excuse me, very polarizing thing. Like there are certain vegetables that through my practice, so I I handle the, the strength and conditioning side because I would like six years plus experience in strength and conditioning and then mental toughness cultivation through um, some strongman stuff, some powerlifting stuff, but mostly combat sports. Um, so the, he, he began to speak to me about some of the things I was doing with my diet in terms of optimizing testosterone, certain plants that are actually uh, diminished testosterone. What, what did you find, you know, as you sort of fine tune your diet more and more with the base sort of being raw meat and raw dairy? And raw honey. What were the veg? What were the plants that you reintroduced that you 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 recommend for this sort of balancing this raw diet? So, I eat. Um, you know, I certainly go in certain phases, but like I have a decent inclusion of of fruit, um, and I don't really have any fruits that I specifically stay away from. Um, you know, I, there's there's the sweet fruits, right? So. You know whether that's um, berries or or apples or you know oranges, stuff like that. Um, I think I think berries are a good place to start with in in terms of fruit because they are low sugar. Um, they're not super fibrous and um, they don't seem to really cause many problems for people. Um, you know I. Uh, I'd probably say a good way to go about it is like understanding that certain fruits have certain properties and some of those properties are, are things that I've learned from reading that book we want to live. Um, you know, there's like something like pineapple, like anyone who's, who's eaten like a giant amount of pineapple in a sitting will know that like your mouth starts to like break down. Right. So pineapple has enzymes in it that help like digest meat. So if you eat like a, especially unripe pineapple, cause it'll have less sugar. Um, I think that if you like eating fruit around eating meat is a bad thing. Cause I don't think you should be combining the sugar with, with your meat because I think it's sending conflicting signals to your digestion, but like eating unripe pineapple, for instance, is going to actually help you digest the meat even easier. So there's a lot of these things that you can kind of learn that you can use your food with deeper intent um 
But, you know, I, I'd say the majority of my fruit intake is berries, oranges, um, pineapple, as far as the sweet fruit goes. I mean, like, you could eat things like, like mango and, and apples and pears. Um, I just personally haven't. Um, so I can't really say, you know, how those have, um, how I've responded to those because I don't personally know. Um, but then you have the, then you have like the fat fruits, right? You have like avocado and you have coconut. Um, I eat a lot of avocado. Avocado is a great raw fat. Um, it is plant-based and so it's not going to be, um, as powerful as raw butter, raw cream, um, raw egg yolks, raw like meat fat. Um, but avocado is a great thing that people can, um, include in their diet. And something about fat that I want to say really quick is we think about like hydration, right? And, um, I don't necessarily talk about it specifically, but like, I don't really drink water. Um, I get most of my quote unquote hydration from uh, milk and, uh, celery juice, which I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but okay. Think about this, right? Like if you have dry skin, are you going to pour water on yourself? Probably not. You're going to put something that is oil-based on your skin, and oil is fat. So a lot of what we think of as hydration is actually uh, fat deficient. So a really great way to hydrate yourself would be having a spoonful of butter or eating some avocado. Um, so I really love like mixing um, like a raw egg and some avocado together and kind of make it into this like, kind of like mushy thing. Um, that like, it's like a really good, like easily digested. It's like, and it's light. Like if I'm going to go spend a day at the beach, I'll probably eat, uh, a couple raw eggs and avocados together before I go. And then I might bring some fruit with me to just like enjoy while I'm at the beach. Um, because I, I, I won't be like thirsty and needing water. Um, and, you know, it's going to be hot and everything. And so like, it's kind of giving yourself, um, a properly hydrating, also like nutrient dense with a variety of minerals and stuff. Um, it's a great little like snack kind of thing. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. And then there's also um, tomatoes and cucumber, right? So we might call those like the bitter fruits. People, you know, you might think of those as vegetables, but they are fruits. And so, you know, we think fruits are things that are meant to be eaten. like the plants make fruit so that something eats it and shits out the seeds. Um, so tomatoes are really good for, uh, for hydration and thirst, um, as are cucumbers. Um, I, and I've found that I digest those pretty well. Uh, I haven't noticed any problems. Um, so everything in the fruit family, I think, is uh, a pretty good um, – it's pretty okay. People definitely overdo fruit. And if you eat a lot of sugar, even if it's some fruit, your body will – you'll start to be more erratic. Um, you know, I was talking about chimpanzees earlier. If you, so chimpanzees diet, like, like they hunt, they eat smaller monkeys, they eat insects, you know, they eat variety of plants. Um, if you put them in, you know, if you give them a bunch of like human bananas, like these artificially, um, bred bananas that are filled with sugar, they become extremely erratic and they start killing each other. Um, it completely changes the emotional state. If your blood sugar is going up and down, you know, spiking up and crashing like those energy surges, 
that is not calm, right? That is, that is not confident. Um, there's, there's something to be said about being aware of the amount of sugar that you do eat. So one of the things that's recommended is that if you have sugar, to have it with a f- fat as well. Like there's nothing better than having like some cream and pineapple together or orange and, you know, you know, like the classic peaches and cream. It is so good. And it'll, it'll help slow the release of the sugar into your system so you don't have these, these wild fluctuation and swings and, you know, and the resultant crash. Um, so that, that's what I have to say about fruit. Uh, I don't eat any vegetables. Um, I, I will have herbs. I'll use like parsley and cilantro, perhaps dill as, you know, um, I'll mix that in like with some tartare. And I think that the way that the body processes the herbs is very different than these, these super fibrous veggies like spinach and broccoli and stuff. Um, the one thing, you know, that the, I mentioned the celery juice. So celery is technically an herb from my understanding. Um, but a big part of the problem of a lot of veggies is the fiber. Of course, with things like, like spinach and kale, then we have all these oxalates, which can cause a lot of problems. Um, but from the, the, the thought process behind celery juice, which is something I got specifically from the primal diet, is that it is like properly structured organic water, right? Like the water in food is real water versus the water that comes out of your pipes is this poisoned and then weirdly filtered thing and there's all the chemicals and the lead from the pipes and the chlorine and fluoride like all of that there's no pure way of getting water you know assuming that you know you don't live in the mountains and you can get water straight from a spring um is to get water through your food so if you take a piece of meat a raw meat that meat is wet if you cook it you're removing all the water from it. Um, so if you keep the water content in your food and you eat things like fruit um, and the celery, which is like, I, I, I used to always say this when I was younger and I didn't understand why, but I guess now I do. I would say celery is just crunchy water, <laughs> right? Like, like there, there was always that thing that eating celery actually requires like burning more calories than it does like consuming it. Um, Though it, it is quite fibrous, I think that like if you eat it, the fiber causes a problem. Um, the The water content is so high in celery, and it does not have really any significant amount of sugar. But it's the mineral content that is so wonderful in it, that it, it has um, it has the type of sodium that your body um, your body has the same form that's in the blood. And so, as opposed to because I don't eat salt either. I'm getting my sodium from the celery juice. Um, and it is, it is actually a significant part of the diet. It's supposed to be like 20 or 30% of your diet um, because most people have so much toxicity in their, in their systems that they need this, this celery juice. Um, and, you know, the, an argument might be like, well, you know, well, a, a primitive man didn't have a juicer. Like, that's kind of ridiculous, right? But if you look at indigenous cultures, not every culture had access to fresh water. So where were they getting their water from? If there is no fresh water, well, they got it from their food. And you will see all kinds of cultures do this even currently where they chew on plants and then spit out the pulp. They chew on leaves, they chew on things and then spit out the fiber. 
So these things all kind of exist as these um, natural um, kind of like ancient food sources while also using them with our modern understanding of them where it's like, okay, I can eat this specific food to accomplish a specific task and I have a, a, an intent behind it. Whereas someone back then or in one of these cultures might do it just more in, you know, instinctively without having a, a stated goal with what they're doing. So, you know, kind of one of the things that we were saying earlier, it's like, okay, look, we cannot get rid of technology. We cannot remove ourselves from some of some aspects of modernity. So yes, embrace tradition, but don't not use what is available to us with modernity if it can serve us. So use our understandings, you know, read books, like observe how different different populations eat and see what we can do to best like take charge and take control of our health. And I will say for myself that I, I have felt that the celery juice in particular has been very beneficial in the way that I've felt. Um, I definitely have more energy when I drink celery juice and I feel like it, it actually helps my digestion. Um, one of the things that, that is said in the book is that people will, they eat so much raw meat and so much milk and at a certain point their body, they stop craving it and their, their hunger starts to go down and their, and their energy starts to go down because then now they can't eat as much meat. And the celery, something about, I'm not going to claim that I, un, I understand fully how it works, but something with the way that the acidity of the meat and then the um, alkalinity of the celery juice, the way that it balances properly allows your digestion to continue to function properly. Um, so I think like getting too far down the like, oh, all I do is eat raw meat kind of thing, like kind of with that carnivore mindset. I think, again, those things work until they don't. And eventually you have to come back into a balanced approach to eating. Um, and so I, what, I, what I'll say, kind of like put a cap on that, is don't eat vegetables. Just make celery juice. And there's, there's actually, there's, there's a recipe in the book for like how to make it. And if you add cucumber to the juicer, it really makes it taste even better. It adds like a nice lightness to it. Um, you can add some parsley and stuff. Um, there's, there's like ratios and stuff in the book, but... I really like doing mostly celery, a little bit of cucumber, and like a tiny bit of parsley. It's it's quite refreshing. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think I think most people are gonna gonna get behind you saying don't eat vegetables. Make that part, you know, God, you had them at hello. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's it's like we're we cannot break down cellulose. Our bodies physically can't do it, and so people going, oh, eat eat fiber, eat fiber, it'll you know, it'll, it'll push your shit out. It's like, why do you need something else to like, I, my poops are perfect. I have perfect, perfect poops every day. I don't need fiber. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, that, that was one of the things, I mean, a big, one, one of my main areas of study in, in strength and conditioning was the Soviet weightlifting system. And my gate, many, many people's gateway drug to that was, um, some of the principles shared by Pavel Tsatsulin. Um, so when he when he jumped on some podcasts after a while, I sort of did the Leonardo DiCaprio point of view. I was like, "Oh shit, people are gonna people are gonna find out." Um, and you know, Joe Rogan, you know, he always does this does with every guest. He's like, "What's your diet like? What's your diet like?" And he's like, "You know, Joe, I've never really been interested in any sort of a diet, but um, 
You know, I have some steak. I don't eat chicken because it's a weak bird. Um, then he says he says you know, he has he has vegetables because they're a necessary evil. And he, um, he he decided a study where they they, they basically there was this there is this theory that the nutrients provided for vegetables were the the main reasoning behind it and they tried stripping those nutrients and putting them in a supplement and they didn't see the same benefits so he had this hypothesis that really eating vegetables is actually like microdosing poison so you're, you're stronger because you're more resistant to poison which i found fascinating there's nothing really that i've seen that's backed that philosophy but not being able to break down cellulose makes a lot of sense i feel like shit when i eat vegetables i'm just full disclosure and I've done for quite a while, so that's why it didn't really been that big a deal in terms of my diet. Um, okay, so I guess the, the, the question, so we've gotten into the nitty-gritty of your diet. We've gotten into the principles. And it's, it's always important to sort of map the principles because something you've touched upon earlier as well, and this is something that when I try to teach the principles of strength and conditioning, like... Like for example, if like if you give if, if if some guy like reads like one little tidbit on bodybuilding.com or something, right? And they say, how do I like, like you know German high volume, right? And they try to like stick German high volume for hypertrophy within a program that is more like, that is geared more towards, let's say either okay, let's say muscle endurance, or even then strength. Let's say they're going through. Um, central nervous system based power phase right and they just like they, they, they're like ooh, that sounds cool and they try to insert it like obviously the program's gonna break down and something's gonna break something's gonna diminish if it's muscle endurance the hypertrophy isn't gonna go well if it's hypertrophy likely the strength is gonna be compromised because you're gonna be relying on the muscular system more than the central nervous system so what's what I like about what you did as well is you spoke to the listeners on the principles of everything that you're saying you weren't just speaking in purity with an essence of raw the application of raw meat or the application of raw cream it's like how it all ties together you went in depth and you know i've been in the bar industry for a while that's when i left silicon valley to pursue being you know a professional fighter i started getting sort of working in bars because the schedule was a bit more congruent so i could train during the day and work at night and they had this notion in the bar world that before we had clean water, the way we got our hydration was alcohol, which made no sense to me. Um, however, back then, the way they made wine apparently was a bit different. It's more nutrient-dense. And then um, you had, like, beers that were made for, like, farmhouse ales, like, really low ABV beers, so that way they had something to hydrate with. So that's, like, more in the lore of bartending, or more in the lore of, of, of alcohol, um, but we, we also know there's some there's some spiritual drawbacks to alcohol. Alcohol being the origin of that word um, basically feeds on the spirit of the human being. So we've gotten the nitty gritty and the principles of your diet. But you also speak upon the, the, the fruits of your labor. So it's translating other things. What was, I mean, okay, so first of all, You, you like you you have, you have you have a training background, you have this background in nutrition, this background in strongman. Now you're out in Salt Lake City. Like, what's what what's your main sort of vocation? I know you're, I know you're trying to homestead. Um, you're very 
phenomenal content creator? Like, are you trying to monetize your content? Like, what has you setting your gut right? Where has that shifted your gut in terms of your overarching purpose? So very much what I what I want to do is I want to, you know, as I've been sharing what is it I want to, what I've been doing, I want to be able to more um, aptly help people. And so I want to be able to um, make my content more conducive to that. So I've been, I, I recently, like, I, I bought, like, the camera and podcast equipment and microphone and stuff. So, um my uh, my next move is to um, get my my podcast up and running, and then also get more uh, video content because I feel like if I can um, start moving on YouTube, that I can start to I can reach more people. Um, because a lot of times I found myself that I would be talking to a friend or somebody about something. We'd be sitting, you know, hanging out, and then they'd be like, "You haven't really been posting about that." And I, in my mind, I didn't really think about that because because it's what I spend so much time talking about with people close to me or perhaps in other circles, I go, oh, shit, you're right. Like, I felt sort of that I was getting it out, so I was talking to people, but it wasn't going out to, to the masses, to my, um, you know, to my audience. And so I think that I can be better served if I um, kind of put my stuff better out there uh, on YouTube with a little bit more... Um, coherence to some extent like i might it might even just be live streams but i'd like to be able to kind of reach people directly and i really like the q a live stream format um and then i i also like you know I, I started this company animal food plant medicine and i kind of started it right when i got into the raw stuff and it kind of changed my perspective so i kind of wanted to like hold off of, until i had some more clarity on on how i wanted to put all that together and so I, I what I'd like to do is I'd like to take the various content forms, whether that be Instagram or YouTube or podcast, and then funnel that through a website where I can have more uh, directed uh, information. So things like things like eBooks, um, things like offering like consultations, um, because what I what I really want to do is I want to empower people to make the changes in their life by you know, sharing with them what has been really effective for me. And what I really want to do is I want to, I want to create a community. And, you know, like I said, you know, obviously homesteading and building a family is really important to me. And I would also like to kind of do that ideally with a number of other people and families who have, you know, a certain like-mindedness and certain goals. And so, the more that I can spread what I know and what I believe, I feel like as we put this out into the world, we can create more of this. And as you create more of that, then that expands. Now there's more people in the pool. There are more people that you can build community with. Um, so I'd love to be able to, mo like most important to me would be my family and my greater community so i'd like to build build the type of community where i can you know as i was saying kind of before like we all know different things so we can bring our resources to each other whether that be nutrition whether it be that be something with like construction we're talking about farming we're talking about homeschooling all these different types of tools at the same time helping the greater population of the world of people who are interested in these kind of things 
because I, I know of how many people have reached out to me and been like, I saw what you were doing and I tried eating this and I feel so much better and like my blood pressure went down. I'm just like, holy shit, like I didn't even, at some point, you know, you don't, you don't quite realize that how much of a profound effect you can have on people. So I would like to put this all together in a more organized sense. And so what I'm really working on right now is getting, uh, I'm kind of doing a lot of kind of like, uh, like storyboarding kind of in a sense. I'm thinking about, okay, what's the, how do I want to organize my content? And how do I best feel like that can serve people? And I kind of see this, this conjunction of the different forms kind of having their own specific flair to them that, that brings people in through these different venues. And then, you know, okay, so obviously all the people who I have, I have a, a decent audience on my Instagram. And then if I, you know, if I start doing YouTube and podcasts, I'll, I, I can send them to that and they will learn things from these conversations that I'll have with people that they might not have learned otherwise. Just the same as I will find someone who will come in because of the podcast and then get brought to the, the YouTube channel and the Instagram. And then through that, you know, if, uh, you know, because I, I, everything I've ever put on the, on the internet has been for free up to this point. And I, I, while I've worked with some brands, like for the most part, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting, I've kind of gotten away from the idea of like brands to a certain extent, as far as like selling um, physical products, because I really don't have much value in things that aren't literally food, um, or you know, like materials, like we need wood and shit to build stuff, right? Um, but getting kind of away from this like consumerist culture, so I would, I would like to be able to offer material that people can can learn from and so that's where you know I, i'd like to do a variety of training ebooks because people are like when are you going to drop a training program i'm like oh yeah i'm just going to be doing a bunch of random shit and you know i know people want some guidance and it's like okay i can do a video of me showing one movement but they're like okay i have this one movement now but i still don't know what i'm doing um so i think putting together some some directed content um and you know that, that people can pay for that that'll really help them i think that'll go a long way I, w- I would certainly say that's the case. And there's a lot of crossover with what I'm doing and what in Primal Thrive and I are doing what you're doing. But, you know, I, I think what, what's, what, what we've noticed in tying together sort of strength and conditioning and biohacking and nutrition and all and hormone balancing and all of these things is that there, it, it started as a business, but it became like this passion project. We're trying to restore people across the board. And you're very clearly someone who's trying to do the same, right? And you have people calling for your guidance in restoring people's beings. So, you know, whatever, I mean, you already have a far greater following than I do, but obviously I would want to spread the word because I, uh, you know, that's something that a lot of people could, um, could benefit from. And, you know, as much as, you know, all the Doja Cat, you know, One Direction videos of TikTok may be cringe, you know, that's sort of a, the hot the, the hot new thing in terms of content sharing i had a couple of people ask me if i was going to do a tiktok which i'm on the fence about because i'm anonymous obviously so that kind of limits me in terms of video um but uh i thought about maybe doing like some like more arty like counter propaganda stuff for blood and rain on a tiktok form i'm sort of toying with that idea but tiktok's an interesting thing you know i like i made one and then never did anything with it and i was kind of like pretty pretty vehemently against it but you can you can build up a massive following like really easily on TikTok and then you know funnel all that back to your 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 Instagram um, and if if Instagram is kind of like where you center your your kind of content and business from 
then that helps expand your reach. It's just, it very much is its own form of content. And I, I'll be honest, I don't understand it at all. Um, it's, it's I know that like- such a young face is the thing. That's probably why it's like all the weird dances and like the weird side-by-side videos. That's why it's like, it's somewhat alien and kind of off-putting at times, honestly. Yeah, we're, we're too old, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, but, I'm, I'm 25. Like, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but yeah, it's- You're 25? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm thirty. Oh, you're thirty. Um, okay, yeah, so yeah, not too yeah. far apart. Yeah, it's um, I, I mean, I guess I, I, I thought about it, and it's like, okay, I'm obviously not dancing, so like, what the fuck <laughs> am I doing? And so, you know, I've seen people like I, I, I have like friends like in fitness who like they they find a way to like teach a a thing through like you know, the weird thing where you point and then like words show up and okay, I think that's really stupid too, but like. So, so stupid, <laughs> oh my God. So it's like, like I don't know. Um, you know, there, there's a variety of, of, of content out there. Maybe I need to spend more time on it to like see like, oh, okay, maybe I could use this type of thing. So I honestly like, what people told me to do is like, just eat something raw and put it on TikTok and then people will like share it. I'm like, oh, that, that, okay. would, that would go viral in like five seconds on TikTok because like it's such it's, so, it's sort of the wild west it's like it was like Instagram before it had following limits and you know algorithm you know infrastructure and you know so they could funnel you into paying for their ads you know or paying paying for their their promo, in-house promotions you know right um so it's it's like it's it's the new frontier and it's I think you know it's something you, you specifically could benefit from a or not anonymous and be the kind of content you're posting it can be flashy and have shock value but they can also bring people to the light ultimately yeah you know? i mean that that might be the thing is just me eating some weird raw thing on tiktok and you know people will be like this is weird and then share it because that's what people do yeah, um exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're meeting people where they're at to like actually bring them to where they need to go well it's like every video that i posted of me eating something raw like the shit, the number of shares on it are always insane. And like you know, when when I posted the video of me eating an entire raw chicken, like that resulted in me getting, I don't know how many followers because it got shared thousands of times. Like the little arrow that shows you got shared thousands of times. And I'm like, oh shit. Um, and sometimes like you know, I don't I don't do things with the intent of shock value like. I ate the. Ch- I was gonna eat the chicken regardless. I was like, well, I might as well put this on the internet. Um, <laughs> and and so, you know, if if you can, if I can use that to my advantage and to like help, because people go, wait a second, you just ate a raw chicken and you didn't die, so clearly there's something going on here, right? And then that will kind of lead them to looking further. You know that it's the thing isn't supposed to be shock value it just happens to be um and and sometimes you need to slap people in the face with reality for them to to actually see it because they, they would someone would go oh this is impossible you can't do that and you go well he's doing it so what's going on here and maybe that that's where you know the the um the uh, curiosity comes in and because, you know, like I said before, like community is the most important thing to me. And I want there to be more good people around and people that I can um, that I can join with and spend time with. And so 
the more people that I get to be healthy for my own selfish reasons, the more healthy people that can be my friends um, and can be my, my community. So, you know, in, in, in that selfish way, it's like I want people to help themselves. I think that's that's a pretty that's a pretty quick route to it, honestly. I mean, it's basically being like the nutrition version of David Goggins. Like a lot of the stuff David Goggins does, he's like, "Well, that's not possible." It's like, "Well, he's literally doing it." That's that's. I would be willing to bet that's why he starts half of his videos with the phrase, "Why the hell out here?" Right. Wearing four layers in a, in a pack. Run in 120 degree weather, and then he like goes into some you know mentally tough piece of philosophy, and was like, you know what is possible? You know when you put it plain as day, like you said, you slap them with reality that they thought was you know in the fringes or just nonsensical or fantasy. That's a powerful thing that you'd be doing, and that, that, that's that's why because like you know for anonymous guys, you know TikTok becomes tricky, but for guys like you, it's the playground, man. That's that's why that's why I bring it up. Um, so, I mean, I would love to see your sort of content grow in that, that sort of web. So, Instagram, podcasting. I'd listen to the sh- I'd listen to your podcast regularly whenever you probably, if, you, if slash when you drop it one, basically. Oh, um, thanks, bud. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's, I know I need to do it. Like, it's, again, it, the, it's been made clear to me, like, just for myself. Like, I, I, I have acknowledged that I need to do it, so because I have, I need to do it. Um, for me, it's just been like literally trying to figure out how the damn fucking technology works. Like, I've always been pretty technologically, you know, good. Um, and it's just like, okay, I start plugging things in, I just start like fucking around. Um, and I, I figured out how to make my my DSLR camera work for my computer camera for like a couple apps but not all of them like i could figure out how to use it for um like google meet but not for zoom and i don't know why um so i just kind of kept like you know fucking around with settings and i bought this like other thing and i'm just trying to figure that out um so it's kind of like the it's the technological thing that's kind of being the biggest impediment so I've, I've kind of I have some friends who have podcasts and 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 you know work with various similar types of set setups. So because um, I, I would like to make something that at least like on my end the camera is nice and the audio is good um, because I I care about you know how things look and for things to be of high quality. So um, I just need to like have a greater understanding of how that works and then I can really take off running because I've, I've already asked like you know a, a half a dozen people or so to be my guests eventually and they'll be like yeah totally just let me know so I just have to um, get them on and do it yeah that was so when I, when I had Forrest London on I was speaking about how and this sort of ties back to the original piece that you read is that the way degeneracy has been winning has been by this undercurrent takeover by volume so it's like degeneracy didn't win. It didn't start winning by like big shots. Degeneracy started winning by volume. Right. Like that became the norm. Like I I, w- I want like everyone like yourself and like Flo Moda talk about. I need to start my podcast. And I'm sort of looking at it. I'm like, yeah, you do. Like it's TikTok. Come on. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and um, because like I don't I don't when I first came to the sort of this like sphere, right. 
Forrest Munden was like one of the few podcasters that I knew. And, you know, I figured since he had the podcast within this sort of circle that, you know, I don't know why I thought this, but maybe he'd think like, I'm the podcast guy. Then he said, no, I want all of you to start a podcast. And I was like, okay, so that means he's really in it to spread the right information against degeneracy, basically. And I, I had no I had no intentions of starting a podcast, but like around the Great Conjunction, I just posted on Blood and Rain uh, on the Instagram story saying, what to expect from this page next year, just, you know, pictures of my championship pelts, you know, two posts a day, two other sources of content. You know what? A podcast, too. That just came out of me. I'm like, I guess I'm doing a podcast now. Um, that's kind of how that started, and you know, it's been, people have been more receptive to it than I thought they would be, which has been, you know, which has been a blessing. Um, but that—that's when I sort of it dawned on me this this idea that like we need to reflood the sphere with things that are holistic and healthy and uh, morally sound and striving for logos. Like the the the, the more volume that's out there for that, the sooner it's going to become the norm again. Because it once was somewhat the norm, right? There was these undertones and undercurrents of what we're seeing now back then. But we can have the counter to that now. And I think you'd be a pretty instrumental part of that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, that, you know it's kind of like a, a funny trope that, like, you know, every damn dude in this generation has a podcast. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, it, it's true, but there's a lot of terrible podcasts out there and like i found myself uh i was on youtube the other day and i found this podcast and i was just looking at it was these two guys and i just remember thinking like you know i I wasn't really a huge fan of of who they were what they were doing and it's like okay these two people have built up a a big following and and they have a high quality podcast as far as like you know it's the production value is high and I go, this is the type of man that is reaching out to people. And I don't think that this is helping. And so it's, you know, it really is, the way I think about all this stuff is that it's our responsibility. If we have the capability of doing this stuff and we have this value to share, it's our responsibility to do it. Right? With great power comes great responsibility. And that's why, like, you know, I don't just do all the things that I do and not tell I can't help people that way. Um, and so the more, you know, cause like, you know, we kind of follow a lot of the same people. And so we have, we're going to have a lot of crossover audience and one person finds one of us and then they find everyone else. Right. And, and we all have our own flair and our own flavor and our own different ways of helping people. And so, our own aesthetic, our own writing. Yeah. yeah. And so not not everyone is going to learn the best from one of us. And so it's best to bring people into the sphere and then allow the diversity to kind of do its thing. And then that's when you really find the people you, you know, you know, there's kind of a, a greater pool you align with. But, you know, because I mean, I, you know, I, I love your posts and you're, you're, you put a lot of care in your writing and I've learned a lot from, um, what you've uh, written, and I really, really appreciated that little series you did on gender. Um, I, I, I think I shared a couple of those. Um, it is, it, it's really, it's, it's great for you to, for, for any of us to, to find something that has an effect on you. That go, oh, I just learned something from that, or oh, that just like, 
that just filled in a gap for me. That just made a connection. And now my understanding is greater. And it's kind of this like perpetual, um, we all pour into each other's cups. It's like a never flowing kind of thing. And, and through that, you know, it's kind of like the, um, you know, a, a high tide like rises all ships, right? Like we can sort of, we can all help each other to help other people. Absolutely. I mean, as long as we keep keep that in motion, we'll stay in motion. Yeah. It's a lot of physics, and I think we have a pretty good ball rolling you know, from the get-go right now. Um, I mean, so one of the, like, in my, in my personal opinion, like, I think the, the central guy, I don't want to call him the central guy, but the central page for all of this is, um, are you familiar with the Renaissance of Men? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because he's, He's like trying to bring everyone to the table. Like he's trying to bring like people who push like true health like yourself and solar sphere guys and other various pieces of the men's movement, which is like it's the manosphere has turned into like recently has turned into this weird like self deprecating, nihilistic, like feminism for men type of place because it, it didn't, it never really. It, it never really had a centralized purpose and never had like, I don't want to call it centralized. You're just, you're just vilifying centralization earlier. But the reason I say that is because I think if we have a, like a very clear thought, like this rebirth of man, like if we restore men then we can help restore gender because men are naturally supposed to take the lead. If there's a lack of leadership, then people are going to start to do their own thing. And then you see, start to see things like third wave feminism. Like I had, um, I had Oaks and O's, the, the Norse pagan podcaster on, on this podcast. And him and I basically concluded that almost like men are to blame for third wave feminism due to a lack of leadership. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's at the end of the day, it's, 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 a, it's, it's weak men. Like that's, oh, yeah. that's where this comes from. And I mean, you know, there's, there's certainly responsibility on, you know, the, the, the male and the masculine and feminine don't exist like without each other. Right. Like, the type of man there is affects the type of woman there is, and the type of woman there is affects the type of man there is, and 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 and, and all this stuff is perpetual. So if if what's happening is toxic, then it perpetuates toxicity. Um, and and so what I see is uh, there's a lot of especially younger men who are feel very lost and are trying to to grab onto something that looks like masculinity, and I think that. A lot of them are grabbing on to the wrong thing, um, and that's where this like, you know, it's more of a more of that fear-based kind of thing. It's like I don't want people to be like, oh, I'm going to be masculine, and then like, you know, worship a Dan Bel- Belzerian, right? Like that's going down the wrong path. Yeah, that's that's the um, emphasis of what we're talking about. Yeah, and but so you, you can look at him being like sort of jacked and like. Women thinking is pretty, but there's an ultimate weakness because he's he's got his pleasure. Yeah, um, and and I, I see that like you know the okay I'm gonna because even you'll see people go okay I'm gonna eat healthy and I'm gonna sun my balls and then I'm gonna like fuck a bunch of girls and I'm like no <laughs> you you you, 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 you have me the first it. half man and then yeah <laughs> yeah it, and that, that and that's where like the the real intent comes in the underlying philosophy comes in it's like better yourself 
for the betterment of others, not better yourself for the betterment of yourself. And I'd argue that it's actually not for the, it's at your own demise, but it's, you've, it's this convoluted thing that you've convinced yourself is, oh, now I'm like, I'm crushing it. I'm going to make a bunch of money and buy all these things and sleep with all these women. And it goes, oh, your, your value system is flawed. Um, you know, and so in, in that sense, it like, especially with, I mean, I, I forget what all these things are called, but like, there's a lot of like weird men's right things, which is like, you know, it becomes women hating. And like, the, if, the, if, if you notice, like, they, they have, they have certain things to say that makes sense in terms of like the raw deal that, that men are getting. So like, there, there's a, there's a lot of like solid bases in the, from the get go. Right? right. But then, it, but then it does turn into this like. And that's why I made that, that three-part series on gender, because part of the divide and con- conquer tactics, like, you, you you made the very solid point. It's like, it's not man versus man. It's not man versus fellow man. It's man versus this ivory tower control. So ivory, ivory towers can keep better control if they get you to fight amongst yourselves. That means race versus race, country versus country. Um, fucking, I don't know, San Francisco 49ers versus Dallas Cowboys. Like, I've seen some fights break out over that. <laughs> right. Like, the reason why the reason why like I, I made the thing about gender is like I, I ask ask women's movements what they think about men they think they're all like you know men are all trash or pigs or whatever ask what you know a lot of these red pill guys think of women they're all horse you know what I mean like that's I don't I don't believe either is true I really I really don't I I, I think men and women can go down the wrong path and I think a lot of the red pill culture has turned into the counter to the feminism like oh you don't want to sleep with me well i'm just going to be this detached asshole and then i'll appeal to your need for attachment and need for attention and i'm starving you of it then i'm gonna and i'm gonna sleep with you and then afterwards i'm just gonna call you a whore it's like wow okay cool it's a great fucking end game you guys have nice um that's why i i was so adamant with that post about gender that we like we genuinely need like there's there's no path forward without healing those wounds. Yeah, because great it, reconciliation. It, it doesn't work because again, if you understand life, and you understand that all life requires the masculine and feminine, there's no future without us coming together, like quite literally in the physical sense. There is no future otherwise, and so if your path rejects the other, then you are you're doomed because nothing can be we have to have the masculine and the feminine and they have to be joined in in harmony in union to create for, to to create life and to further that life and to be able to raise and foster that life in the best way in a in a in a proper and and balanced way and when you have any ideology which pits one as the enemy like where do you think that can go it can't it literally can't go on you it's a pathway to insanity yeah it's it, it yeah it's 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 <laughs> uh, we can call it a million things a road to ruin a pathway to insanity it's self-destruction and, it, and it's all those things it really is yeah um before we go um i think we're, oh shit we're coming up in three hours wow felt like it felt like an hour yeah, I, I uh, thought it was 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost one. Um, but yeah, so th- this is this this has been interesting to me. Like I mentioned a couple things about being orthodox. And I got a bunch of people reaching out to me about orthodoxy. 
which I, I really like I and I, I mentioned this before I mentioned this on podcasts like and it, go, it goes against orthodox principle to evangelize like right you don't see us in the street corner like maybe maybe you'll see a one-off guy right you don't see us on the street corner saying like you're all gonna go to hell if you don't you know convert basically um so i, I i've been i've trying to make myself like abundantly clear in terms of that i'm not trying to be like this missionary but i have a bunch of people reaching out to me about orthodoxy and i never thought i'd see that honestly um so i'm curious like how how like how did you come uh, upon that curiosity and like how much is it linked towards your journey of this philosophy of life and nutrition and consuming all the right things like and community like how did that come about so when i when i found myself that i was in in search of truth like when i sort of was able to identify that that's what my kind of driving force was so then i because i started to think about like okay what does that mean like what 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 is pushing me forward and like, and what does that truth look like? And in this, in this year of really truly feeling evil for the first time. And okay, if I understand this concept of evil, I'm starting to see this and feel this. Who is, who is standing up against evil? And I felt and I saw a large Christian base against that and so i kind of for just you know pure curiosity's sake i'm like what is it about being christian or having you know christian ideology that 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 leads people to this because you can you can look at where things fall on these different cultural points and you can see you can see patterns you can see patterns of people with certain ideologies and belief systems being on one side or the other. And so, because as any ideology functions, there has to be something that comes from that, which kind of like dictates um, how people are gonna behave. And I started to see, especially like on online, because like in person, you know, one in in Los Angeles, it's like, you don't really meet a lot of religious people, but also no, so no, it's, no. <laughs> it's, it's very rare you know, with everything that happened, and okay, you're kind of like removed from your greater communities and stuff before. Okay, so I'm pretty much hanging out with like one small group of friends, and that's like pretty much all the people I spend time with. So I'm not going to be exposed to anything else, really. Um, and I started, so it, this is all like almost exclusively online. And I started to see this pattern of Christianity, and I, I saw some influence of, of, of paganism as well as far as like, you know, a lot of the things that I value, I was seeing embodied by some Christians and I was also seeing embodied by some, you know, pagan ideology. And I, and not that I, I understood either because I was not, you know, raised exposed to any of them. Um, but I'm certainly like growing up in America, you're gonna understand, you're gonna have more exposure to Christianity than you are going to, to paganism. So um, what just started to kind of become more clear to me was okay. There's this pattern, and like you know, I was going to various protests where um, that were just like anti-lockdown type stuff, and there was a large Christian contingent to that. Um, and you know, what's interesting is that like the the homeschooling community and like the the anti-vax community is also largely Christian, 
Um, and I'm like, okay, what is, what's, what's going on here? And so the thing is, though, is that, like, you know, I would never consider myself to be, like, politically um, conservative, um, though I probably supported things that looked more like Republican points, like, going back since I was a kid. Like, I really didn't feel, I felt like I was more liberal than I was conservative, and I found myself in this kind of, like, I don't know, libertarian sort of space. But I started to see this, like, Christian conservative population and but the thing is though is that knowing that my kind of base value system kind of comes from health and and having like real values as a person a lot of these christian conservatives aren't healthy and don't live by the values that they claim to believe in and so i started seeing these these men who are like you know very out of shape um, don't look like they take care of themselves. And then this like weird female population of women who are like overly done up with tons of makeup and like lots of plastic surgery. And I'm just thinking like something, there's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect in, you know, I might agree with these people on some stuff, but like something feels off here. And I was, as I was starting to, to kind of, be more open to and start to follow more things that involved Christianity on social media. Um, I even actually, I ended up for the first time in my life, I dated a religious uh, woman last year, dated like a devout, a lifelong devout Christian. And I mean, we're not still together, but that was like, she was a really incredible person. And I really admired her like strong principles. Like it was very, very admirable. Um, But I started to see this online, Things that I would be like, okay, no, this is this is really good here. I really like this. It's coming from people that were either Orthodox or Catholic, and I I wouldn't say that I could really understand why, but I I just felt it. There's like there's something different about this expression. It feels more it feels more genuine, and it feels more holistic and interconnected. Um, that these people seem to be. Um, more embodying like the totality of their beliefs really encompasses like all of their being as opposed to like this one superficial um aspect and you know kind of i would kind of refer to as like pop christianity like pop conservative where it's kind of like you're also um you kind of also look like these types of liberals you're just doing it with like a different outfit basically Um, and and so I, I really started, and what's interesting is that there is, uh, uh, like, a, there's an orthodox contingency, like, within the primal community as well, too. And I'm just thinking, like, really? yeah, it's, it's this weird thing, but, you know, I, I, I follow, like, an orthodox account or two, and the quotes that I see come from, um, you know, these different leaders in the community over the years, I go, damn, this is, I really like this. Um, and, you know, I... I, I never intended to be a Christian, and I, I don't intend to be one. I'm not opposed to the idea. Um, yeah. All all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to learn, and so I feel drawn to Orthodox Christianity. And so I've been consuming, um, you know, content of all forms of of, of uh, YouTube videos and and reading things and reading the Bible. Um, and so far, what I've gotten is just immense value. Um, 
and you know at some point I might get it on and be like you know what there's a lot of good stuff here that I can take from it and then I'm gonna move on and I might go you know what this is what I want to sort of commit to um, I don't know and the thing is like that's how I approach everything which is the thing has to call to me and then it has to show me this desire for commitment and so you know like with with like the diet thing it's like I felt this calling and then I just like yeah this is this is this is really it and so I jumped all the way in and so with with orthodoxy I, I feel this calling and I'm still so much in a learning phase because like you know I, I I'll have to finish the Bible before I will would even consider calling myself a Christian I feel like it would be dishonorable to do so anytime before yeah, that, um, that's that, that means yeah. you're, you're, you're going about it the way. Yeah. And like that's that's one of the things I found really refreshing too when I came to Orthodoxy. It's like I, I met I met the priest of my my church and he um he said like basically I'm at your service with any questions that you have, you're welcome to go to any of the services. Um they did not rush any kind of conversion, like it became like a conversation like later, right? And they said like, Well, you have to become a catechumen, which is basically like a it's a preparation for baptism period, basically. Um, so, like, they don't. They, I've been other churches where like they're trying to get you right in the door, like from the get go. You know what I mean? Right. Um, that, that's never been the case with orthodoxy. It's like you're you're doing the right thing. Like you're marinating in it. You're you're studying in it. Like it's that's the way you're supposed to go about it. That's the way you're supposed to go about most things. Is the way you go about things in general, right? There's there's too much like fast food in terms of faith, in terms of. Uh, politics, like half the reason we have such a problem with our politics, and this is this is done on purpose. Like, oh, let's get all of our beliefs in a two-minute soundbite. Like, really? How the fuck is that gonna work? How are you? Yeah, gonna it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I mean that that's been that's been the thing, and you know whether it's politics or religion, but you know it's really been something that became very clear with me with religion is that I'm not I'm not nearly as concerned with what people call themselves as I am with how they show up. And how they exhibit whatever it is that they believe. Um, so, you know, I bring a bunch of people together that have all different types of faiths or whatever it is. But um, as long as the person has good values, like that's what that's what matters to me. And so, you know, part of it was understanding, like, does if if I if I read this book entirely and I understand it, well, do those dictate the value? Like, is that where the values come from? Because if if I feel that it has everything that I believe in, like why wouldn't I, you know, commit to the religion? But if it doesn't, and I go, well, you know, I learned a lot about it, and I'm going to continue on and try to learn more. Um, and it's I think that's the way to go about it. Is like because again, if if that's not your approach, then then you're also living a lie, right? Like imagine joining a religion, being like, yeah, I don't agree with a lot of this stuff, but I just kind of do it, whatever. And it's like okay, so you're you're lying then. Yeah, you're, um, you're like where's the where's yeah. the honor in that? I mean, not even not even honor. I mean, like honor is like <laughs> that's like a major stretch. It's just like where's the validity? In that? Right. Yeah. It, it's like uh, okay. So this this is not even like a an honest thing. This is it's just a lie. It's a fabrication. Yeah, I remember when I came to that point with the evangelical church. Where I was just like, I don't, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm still doing here. <laughs> like, um, because I. I I felt just personally, and this isn't, a, again, I, I, was, I always preface this, you know, to be abundantly clear, like, this isn't a condemnation or anyone's church, but, like, I felt that, like, I wasn't supposed to be there anymore, and I felt like I was searching for something 
as close to the original you know Christian origin as possible, right? There's never been a Reformation. There's never been a papal figure. It's like they, the, the the divine liturgy performed in services predates the compilation of the Bible. Like, right? This is as close as we're gonna get, right? And that's what I felt called to see. And I, I dude, I ignored that for like over a year. Because I was like, well, no, this is my church. My friends are here. My girlfriend at the time was in it. I was like, but I just, I was so disconnected. I felt like I was living a lie the whole time until I finally did something about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think, again, you know, you said that, like, you know, Orthodox, Orthodox really isn't about, like, anything evangelical. And I think kind of what I was saying earlier, it's like, you know, I, I don't think you can convert people to something. I think you just have to show them. You just have to you have, you have to be it, and if it if it has value, the people will come to it. Exactly. Exactly, and that, that 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 that's a principle for for everything. Like that's a principle you embody with your work. That's principle a lot of these guys embody with their work, and they all found each other as such. And if they continue to embody that and get more people to embody that, then that that war of volume in culture will be will be won inevitably. Plain and simple. Yeah. Before we go, man, uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me, uh, uh, you know, on Instagram at Josh Rainer Gold. Also on Twitter, same name. Um, and then I have my uh, my YouTube channel, which I think it's just under Josh Goldstein, but I I have it linked in my in my Instagram bio. Um, and then I also have a. Uh, my my company called Animal Food Plant Medicine, um, which I have a website and uh, an Instagram that I need to do more with, um, and uh, and yeah, just uh, you know I I'm on these things and I'm trying to be me, and uh, if that like if that clicks with people, then uh, I'm here to share with them. Sounds like a lot. Of, it's clicking with a lot of people, man. I I, I think that's gonna rapidly grow, honestly. Thanks, um, yeah, dude. It's it's dude. Thank you so much for coming on. It's 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 been an honor. It's been a pleasure. It's been insightful. It's been educational. It's been grounding. It's been balanced. It's 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 been it's been a blessing, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Sam, really enjoyed it. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Um, so, guys, go give Josh a follow on all his mediums. There's a lot of content to come. I'm very excited, and you, you guys should be too. And until next time, good night and good storms. Thank you.